Heading down the river. Yeah. On a canoe trip. Heading for a tree. You ain't never going to get down to Ant. Well, why not? Because this river don't go to Antry. You done taken the wrong turn. Now let's you just drop them pants. Drop? Just take them right off. I mean, what's this all about? Don't say anything, just do it. Just drop them, boy. Them panties. Take them off. Go on. Hey, boy. No. You look just like a hog. No, go on. Look like a hog. Go on, Miss Piggy. No. Miss Piggy. Go on. Come on. Go
get down to it, Bopper. Yeah, we're going to get down to it, Boppers. Boppers. It's the Ron and Fez Show. 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. Chris Stanley starts us out with some funk. That's right. Nice tune today. That's right. That's from the Mooch. Really? Yeah, it comes out of Woodwork. Hey, you want some funk for Friday? Uh, sure, white boy in Ireland. Uh, <laughs> loving the black man's funk. <laughs> By the way, speaking of which, you sent me to a uh, doc last night. What was it called? The Black Power Mixtape. Uh, Black Power Mixtape. This is the weirdest documentary. <laughs> Swedish guys in the 1960s had followed along with the Black Power movement. Yeah. So you're getting the Black Power movement, but through this filter of... <laughs> For some reason, Swedish people were incredibly interested yeah, in it. I saw the director's name. I was like, wait, that don't sound like someone who would be making a Black Power mixtape documentary. It was actually <laughs> some really great footage that they had. And then the other uh, cool thing is that Melvin showed up in a Melvin Van Peoples. Oh, shit. Who's done the show and is very good buddies now since he did our show with Earl and Franklin. Earl and Franklin, I'm not even ma making this up, <laughs> hang out with Melvin Van Peoples. That's Which awesome. is just, you know, the guy who kind of started black exploitation films. Yeah. Uh, it's amazing. We'll get this show started today. I think, no, I know. Today we're going to play The Unmasked with uh, Penn Jillette, uh, which is a, a good one. Plus, we've got a couple of other clips, including a Philadelphia legendary kid show guy from the 60s and 70s. Uh, and I'm going to talk about kids TV because apparently not everybody used to have adults hosting shows, but it was very, very big in Philadelphia that somebody in some kind of costume would host your uh, cartoon stuff. And um, one in particular, Fez went out and found for me. And we'll talk about that later and play the entire interview this weekend on Ron Bennington Interviews. Uh, but we'll jump into the phones for a couple of minutes. Here is LT, the lady trucker. Hey, uh, happy anniversary, Ron. A year ago from tomorrow, your appendix was removed. So by this time, my appendix had already burst. Yeah. But I was too stupid. Well, not too stupid, but I tend to ignore <laughs> what would send other people to the doctor and, and a lot of men do this. Oh, I, I don't. I refuse to go. I don't care. I'll eat the pain. I go but in a heartbeat. You, uh, well, yeah, women go immediately. Yeah. And it's one of the reasons why women live longer than men <laughs> is because they go, something bothers me. Um, I'm going to go directly to the doctor. Where men have a tendency of, I got hit by a truck, I'll take a nap, and this leg will heal. Yes, and it it's off. just known across the board that men don't trust doctors as much as women. But that's one year now. Yep, I've been living year. without an appendix. Half a man, if you will. Oh, God. Um, let's go over to uh, Dan in Albany. Dan, you're on my face. Hey, yo, Ronnie. I got a number one story. An act of war against the United States. A Chinese professional basketball team assaults our Georgetown Hoyas. And how long was that fight? 
uh, about 20 minutes. There was chairs thrown, and the boys were getting, we sent an amateur team over there of teenagers, and they're getting beaten up by a, a stadium full of crazy Chinese people. It is insane. It's well, nuts. a couple of things is insane. Number one, the way China has adopted basketball. Crazy about it. And I don't know whether it happened before Yao Ming or after Yao Ming. They started to watch the game on mm-hmm. TV. But the last Olympics that was in China, the fucking U.S. basketball team were the Beatles. <laughs> yeah. And these Chinese people, Kobe's on the floor... And they're just fucking chanting MVP at him. And I was, I had no idea of any of this. And I'm stunned. LeBron can't go anywhere. Gigantic. But, but Kobe was the big star. Yeah. I mean, Kobe, you know, Kobe and LeBron, I mean, I think that you would agree Kobe's a bigger basketball star. Oh, without a doubt, because he's got the fucking rings. Yeah, but for, forget even the rings. I mean, that's the accomplishments. But you can be a big star without accomplishments. Okay, yeah. <laughs> you know, David Beckham. No one in England thinks he's the best (laughs) fucking player, but here in the United States, that's the name that we know, which probably weirded out people in England. They're going, why Beckham? Huh? But over there, uh, they see right through the LeBron shit that we have in this country, (laughs) where we obsess with them, and they're, they're all about the MVP, Kobe. They're fucking locking down with him. Well, this turned into a madhouse, and, you know, this could turn into... And one of these boys gets his fucking head cracked open, oh, and he fucking goes into a coma. It's an international incident. Yeah, we're lining up fucking jets. There's fucking Jesus people in this Christ. country going, let's bomb those breaks. <laughs> um, 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. Uh, Jake in Detroit. You're in Fez. Hey, Ron and Fez. Uh, I read it earlier today on CNN and ABCnews.com at the West Memphis Free. There's a possibility that they might be released by this Friday. Well, you always hear that. That's another story that only got big after a documentary came out. And that was a long time ago. But apparently these boys were arrested partly because they were Eddie Trunk fans. They love the metal. Raise the fist. You know, there are some towns they get very, very scared of the metal. Oh, yeah, there are a bunch of movies about it. Like like the Lifetime movies based on the fucking facts or whatever. And there are some celebrities who are cocksure that these guys are set up. There's other law enforcement officers who are 100% sure that they did it. Um, So two of them are going to get out if they admit finally that they did it. Because they've, you know, said innocent. So they have to fess up to get out. Fess up or lie and say that they did it, which happened before. While you're just throwing the facts out there, just because someone even fucking finally said, look, I'm going to cop to a lesser charge, happens constantly, dude. Yeah, no doubt, yeah. Happens fucking constantly. Where if you're, you know, a lot of guys will go in dope charge or whatever if you're looking at 30 years you got your lawyer telling you look if we cop the five you'll be out in three people do it all the time on your record whatever yeah and then that follows them but at the time they're too scared they don't want to do a fucking bid yeah yeah that's just (laughs) i don't want to come out and see that we have a robot president i want to (laughs) fucking have that gradually happen uh here's our buddy bill bill what do you got big age 2875 my buddy Hoo-ah! Ronnie B, I got the big story on Action News tonight. Yeah. Neither rain, nor hail, nor a two-hour delay can stop our fighting Phil for winning another series. It makes me nervous. It's 
so goddamn good. Now, Bill, you grew up with the Philadelphia TV. I was telling these guys about how Philadelphia was always well-known for having kids' show hosts. Yes. I guess most towns had a kids' show host, but Philadelphia used to just have scores of them. Oh, yeah. We had, well, we had Captain Kangaroo. You had Captain Noah. You Captain, had that, uh, no Captain <laughs> Noah was definitely a local guy in Philadelphia, and it was based, of course... On Noah's Ark, except for it was fun. So it was just the more fun parts of the Bible, and you had to send your pictures to dear old Captain Noah. Send oh, yeah. right away, send every day. Absolutely. I did it many a times as a little kid. Uh, Captain Noah was big. There was also Chief Halftown was a guy who would dress up as an Indian and be inside a teepee and then come out and talk to the kids. You'd never be able to pull that off. Um, let's go over some of the ones that existed in Philadelphia. Happy the Clown got started in Philly. Lorenzo the Clown. Um, Pete Boyle was in the 1950s. Now, that's Peter Boyle's dad. Ooh, Pete wow. Boyle used to have a TV show. Uh, Pixan, uh, who was a pixie, just a tiny little pixie, uh, bringing love to people. Sally Starr was the cowgirl. And then there was also, like, urban myth about something that Sally Starr had done. Oh, what's that? I'm not saying. I'm not going to be part of an urban myth thing. Oh. But that was, like, probably my first, like, well, you know, <laughs> this thing's happened. Um, really? Chris, you're on Run Fez. You can't forget a pedophile's wet dream was Al Albert's showcase for those little girls dressed in their tights dancing around. Now, Al Alberts was a guy who was with a band called the Four Aces back in the late 50s. Like, kind of a white Supremes. So, after that, you know, had run its course, he had started the Al Alberts Showcase, where he would bring in children that would be four and five years old and do almost like an American Idol with them. Turn it up a little bit. Put on the Al Alberts Showcase. It's on YouTube. Just search Al Alberts. It'll come up. We always have him. I don't know what happens. He's always on the slowest computer. That's a big problem. Um, but if you had a kid show host in your town, because every town had somebody like that, 866-RUN-ZERO-FEZ, 866-RUN-ZERO-FEZ. Also, Dr. Shock was in Philadelphia who would open his show laying in a coffin Oh, and then, then sit up and then play some uh, stuff for you. All right, play a little bit of the Al Albert Showcase. I believe Al Alberts was in a time block for himself and Larry Ferrari. Larry was like a kid show host for the elderly and he would just play like a big pipe organ nice and you would just watch a half hour uh half hour of people playing a pipe organ go ahead put it back up again our kids the pros why did we get past the opening 
that we had with the song. That one was just instrumental. Yeah, but you get to the you were going through the instrumental to the opening. Um, these are these people became uh, gigantic stars with children. That's a, I, when I was a little kid. I had I think it was I don't know if it was local in New York, but I think it was syndicated. But Captain Lou Albano was hosting cartoon shows. I had never heard of this. He was dressed as Super Mario. <laughs> Um, and he was hosting cartoons. Here's Paul. Paul, you're on Run a Fez. Hey, yeah, this is uh, Paul. Uh, in New York, we had Officer Joe Bolton, who did uh, Pop. Uh, he did the Three Stooges, and then we had Captain Jack McCarthy, who did the Popeye uh, cartoons. And now that's the, the yeah, uh, Officer Joe, uh, very famous, and then Captain Jack. Captains do very, very well. <laughs> but you need to get a um, a franchise for yourself. Um, you need to make sure, hey, the only way you're going to see Popeye is if you go rocking through here. Oh, yeah, hell yeah. Um, let's go over to Josh in Wisconsin. Josh, you're on Run a Fez. Yeah, well, I was growing up, uh, Captain Eleven from Sioux Falls, South Dakota, at a cartoon show every Saturday morning. Uh, I know my dad was on this show back in the 60s. And I remember playing into the early 90s. It was always the same guy. It was actually the weatherman from the news crew was Captain Eleven, wore a blue suit. was kind of a rocket ship space thing. Whenever they cut to the cartoon, they had a spinning pinwheel real fast. I just remember being mesmerized as a kid. And they played the cheesiest cartoons, and usually not even the whole cartoon. Just and giving you clips. Show, well, you, a lot of a lot of places would use whatever the thing was. It'd be like sci-fi, <laughs> and then your call letters or number. Um, nice. But the other fucking fun thing about that was, is that people, um, you either were the weather guy who obviously had a lot of time. Or some kid who worked there. Like, we would take one of our interns and go, hey, Saturday mornings, there's an opening. It's you, dude. You know, let's get you in a dog costume. And the kid would be like, yeah. And then 30 <laughs> years would pass by. You know what I mean? Like, he would be like, there's no way I can give up this gig. It's too easy. <laughs> I play a little bit of the Al Albert Showcase opening there. Drum roll, please. See, the crowds were going crazy for this show. Yeah, losing it. And you also can see it suddenly became about the host and not the little kids. Oh, no. Look at him. He's walking through. He's feeling great about himself. Got kind of a Polly Walnuts look to him. Thank you. Ah, you're beautiful. Thank you. Welcome <laughs> to Showcase. And welcome, if you will, please, Melissa Lynn on the camera. A little uncomfortable. Yeah. And whenever you see one of our teeny boppers on the piano, it means they're giving Uncle Al the pleasure of singing along with them. You're going so to he would sing, sing with one of the children. Right. Okay. This Uncle show ran for decades. Go. Really? Yeah. Barrel and the heap, barrel and the heap, and the talking with people about you. 
about me. <laughs> yes, I love you. Right. So you get a uh, uh, a premise of how Al would rock this thing. Now, Al Alberts was known for one thing. One of those little kids went on to be the first Annie on Broadway. Whoa. Her name was Andrea McArdle. So after that happened, some kid like this would sing, and I would go, folks, I think we found our next Andrea McArdle. <laughs> and the place would go crazy. <laughs> and then every once in a while, they would bring Andrea McArdle back no, to no, Philly. Right. And then people would be like... Do you think this kid has, you know what I mean? <laughs> they would always look to see if these three or four year old people had that thing. Had it. Yeah. I don't know what it is, but she has it in spades. Um, let's go over to uh, Lauren. Lauren, you're on the Run of Fest show. Hey, guys. How you doing? Good. I uh, have a great story. You guys are bringing back such memories for me. I grew up in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. And there was one winter where my brother and some friends were outside throwing snowballs around, and um, this big fancy Cadillac drove by, I guess with the window open, and one of the snowballs went in and hit this person in the head. The guys ran, they ran away, and all of a sudden I'm just like this little kid home with my mom, and there's a knock at the front door, and I enter the front door, and this woman's like, Hi, I'm Sally Starr. Get out of here. This couldn't have happened. Lauren, this story is too good to happen. I swear to you on my life that this happened. So I go downstairs. This is how long ago it was. My mother was ironing. (laughs) And I'm like, Mom, Sally Starr is at the door. (laughs) And she told me basically to go take a hike. Let me just point out to people. This is like hearing (laughs) Mom Barbara Streisand's at the door. (laughs) Or Mom Robert De Niro's here. (laughs) And he's got hot dogs for everyone. It was hysterical. She was pissed. (laughs) <laughs> so apparently, you know, she got hit in the head with a snowball, and she never did catch the guy across the street or my brother. But uh, that was my big story. Sally Starr came to the door of my house when I was like six. <laughs> you um, now, I also I don't know whether Sally would be driving around in a big fancy Cadillac. But if you tell me it's true, I want to believe it. Oh, yeah. I swear to you, I can still see the car in my mind. It was like this yellowish tan caddy with like the uh, vinyl top you know and she was all she was dressed to the nines man i don't know where she was going or why she was in cherry hill new jersey and well, i'm sure she lived there I, her, you know I what know. i mean like in our minds in our kids minds that these same people you know would hang out with mick jagger but obviously it didn't happen that way they were local kid show hosts now lauren i'm trying to tell these guys didn't philadelphia just have a ton of oh, these type of people? I'm trying to remember. There was this one guy. His name was Larry something, and he played the organ. Larry Ferrari, the great Larry, Larry Ferrari. Ferrari. That's it. Uh, who I, I would put... When I, uh, I, I put him in the same place as Rick store. Waitman in okay. terms of being a keyboard player. Larry Ferrari, in my opinion, could have played with Yes. I mean, absolutely. I have, you know, I mean, I watched all that shit when I was a kid, so you're our... You are definitely bringing back some memories for well, me today. I'm, a little later on in the show, we'll play a couple clips from this weekend show of a Philadelphia kids show legend. And Fez uh, kind of hunted them down for me and brought them in. And I can honestly say, just sitting in the room with them was one, just like you're talking about with Sally Starr. And by the way, when she was saying how she was six yeah. with Sally Starr, I'd feel that way today. If oh, Sally Starr came in, I would actually say to my mom, Mom, stop ironing. 
<laughs> Sally Starr is here. Thanks, Lauren. <laughs> you're welcome. Have a good day. Uh, Frank, Frank, you're on Run Fez. Hey, what's up, Ron? How you doing? Good. Hey, I, I was a little kid in, Glen, in Glenside, Pennsylvania, and used to watch Wee Willie Weber on Channel 17. Now, Wee Willie Weber was different from any of the other show hosts. He did not dress up as anything. Oh. Most of the other hosts, they had some kind of big get. Like a costume. Now, Wee Willie Weber, the name is because he was like 6'7", so it wasn't oh. that funny. Right. Uh, and, and then he was Bill Weber on the radio, just playing the hits for you. And I think he had done some other like news type stuff. But he would come out, uh, kind of a black suit, uh, white shirt, and a tie. Early Reservoir Dogs, I would go so far. And then he was great, because he played Japanese uh, cartoon oh, stuff. Oh, like um, so the early, early anime Jap- stuff. D- j- well, right. not anime oh, like yeah, you like, yeah. but Japanimation, mm-hmm. where Astro Boy and yeah, shit like that exactly, would come yeah. rocking in. No, it was Ron. It was Ultraman. I remember. Ultraman. Ultraman, yeah. Ultraman okay. would get played, which uh, by him. But he. Oh, that show sounds awesome. Yeah, he was, and he would just be like, "How you doing, kids? Girl, pal, we Willie. You know, like he didn't. He didn't kind of blow it out too much um, and jump into it. But he was he was great. And his I like playing Ultraman and Tobar the Eighth Man, he was a little more hardcore. Oh, you yeah. Know, I mean, no baby cartoons for you kids. No, it's just Let's blowing up. bring it down. Um, hey, yeah, Ron, didn't he also play, um, and now I, I'm, I'm younger than you, but you may remember, I think he played Marine Boy. Do you remember that? Marine Boy, he rocked. Uh, um Kimba the White Lion. I mean, he really, you know, what, the fact that he didn't put on a costume, I feel like he made up for it by bringing some of Japan yeah, some cool shit. into Philadelphia. You're not seeing anywhere else. Yeah. And a little more violent cartoons. Hell yeah, that's, that's a shit. Um, 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. Um, Rod, New Jersey, you're on Fez. My buddies, what's going on? Uh, Ronnie, in Jersey, a long, long time ago, there was a local show hosted by uh, Mario Cantone, and it was so uncomfortable because he was so oh, Wasn't it Steam something? Steam was Pipe Alley? Steam yeah. Pipe Alley was oh, him, God, yeah. It was. It was. I just remembered. It was. It was so uncomfortable, though, and he was so uh, you know his his normal self. But it was just the worst show. And I knew plenty of kids around my neighborhood that like participated well, in the audience and shit. So this is what's really funny about him is that then when those kids grew up, they went and saw his stand up, which was totally <laughs> nothing like that. And then of course people did the steam pipe alley. You know, uh, somehow uh, that became some kind of joke. Um, Let's go over here to, uh, let's go to Tim. Tim, you're on the Run Fez show. Hi, guys. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I'm a little bit too young to have appreciated that I met this guy, but um, my dad was a big, we're all from, you know, PM. my dad was a big fan of Gene London mm-hmm. when he was a kid, and um, we, I, I think we went to New York. I was like seven years old, and my da- I don't know if Gene London owned like a little store it was like a little shop or some sort that Gino London owned. And my dad just fucking stumbled upon it because we were walking through New York. He's like, let's go see if you'll actually talk to me. You know, like like like, like you said, like it was De Niro or something. Let me tell you and, something, Tim. Um, Here's what he owned. He had a shop. Uh, Gene London was unlike any of the other people we're talking about because he would play cartoons because he lived at Cartoon Corners. But then also... 
he would draw pictures and I mean he was an amazing drawer like he could have been an illustrator with Disney in a heartbeat um, and it looked just like them like if he would within five seconds he That's could great. draw uh, you know the prince the princess the monster whatever the but then he would play every character the matter was the band the woman the stuff and he would be up in the thing and would scare the shit out of you but after that he kind of uh, got into women's gowns and got this massive massive collection of uh, movie memorabilia mainly the gowns that the women's like uh, old wore. school stuff right and Tim yes get a hold of your dad because Gene London will be playing some of that on the show today. Gene London is the guy. He's 80 years old now. Fezzi tracked him down, brought him in, and really? uh, yeah. Well, was- and we're going to be playing that in its entirety this weekend because there's no way we can play it all on this yeah. show because he just takes over. He really does. He came in. He is the man. Dominated. He is the absolute man. He is into this. Um, he hasn't lost whatever that thing that he had in, in terms of storytelling and turns everything into mythology. But the weird stuff is that he would do like these long mythology things like Greek myths and act it out. Like Aesop's Tales and shit like he, that. But even beyond that stuff, you know, I mean, we would be uh, going deep into this and he would actually scare you. <laughs> he would scare you or make you really sad. And I started watching this. I had to be like three, four years old. So that was probably my introduction to show business at all. Wow. The fact that, hey, this is a show. This guy's putting on a show. Kids love him. Which, when you're a little kid, if you're like three and you see kids on TV that are like seven, you're like thinking to yourself, so this is the cool shit. <laughs> this is what the older cats are in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know? So right away, I'm like... Man, that would be the shit to meet Gene London. I had to wait decades and decades until he came in. He's 80, but does he not have the youngest face you've ever seen in your life? He doesn't look fucking 80. He looks great. Not even close. Uh, I mean, he's seriously... And I'm wondering if it has to do with all that kid show stuff and imagination, but there's something about him that stayed really, really, really young. Uh, John in Philadelphia, you're on fez. Hey, Ryan. But great news about Gene London. I can't wait. Remember, remember when he drove that Volkswagen convertible with the TV in it? I love that show. He was way ahead of his time. He was way ahead of his time. Uh, by the way, hey. you can reach him at Cartoon Corners at AOL. Cartoon Corners at AOL to drop Gene a line if you ever want to. Um, but Philly had a ton of those kind of people, John. Well, hey, remember uh, Doc Shock? He was like Ron Bennington of the 70s. <laughs> He was so cool. He always come out. That remember Bubbles would hit it, hit the uh, the hammer on and the casket. He come out with a big cigar and he like wear the safari hat. And oh, he was the coolest. I got to be his assistant one day. He would play like monster movies and shit for you. You know, like really old cheesy stuff. That's great. Um, and was that was like the first time of like, hey, I like horror. Cool. Yeah, let's turn him up a little bit. Boy, we got to do a switch out. Where do you put him? Dr. Shock. Dr. Shock making things happen. <laughs> kind of like Ron Shear up all night on USA. <laughs> wow, that's a really good call on the Ron DeShear. Uh, 
I forgot about her completely, too. Here's Brian. Brian, you're on a fez. A uh, couple of things. First, I wanted to see if anyone had mentioned Chief Halftown yet and, you know, that whole thing. But also, do you remember they also had, like, some some shows that were made in Philly. There was one where this kid had this gigantic computer, this from, like, 1980, and he somehow used it to contact the chick that lived in a space station in the future. And it was a show that was only on in Philly. It was only just rock the local Phillies things? It was called Star Stuff. And it was on... I, I mean, I'm, you know, it was on by the time I was growing up, and that was like the early 90s. WCAU was still showing that, even though the thing was like 10, 15 years old. Which is yeah. really, really great, you know, but, there, you know, there's something about, you know, a national show, but a local show, I don't know why, that's even more powerful. Oh, that's Because you could hear things that you know about, know you know, and we kind of got away from the kind of local stuff. Everything's syndicated. Uh, which is, you know, a little sad. Uh, here's our buddy Mikey Boy. Mikey Boy. Hey, guys. I, uh, I grew up uh, between Baltimore and D.C., so we had two. In, in Baltimore, they had Captain Chesapeake. He's on Channel 45, and he was a ship captain, and he hosted all the cartoon shows, and uh, his uh, catchphrase was, Ahoy, crew members! And, um, and then in D.C., they had Captain 20, who was, like, did a Star Trek kind of thing. He hosted the, the kids' shows also. So he had, like, a Star Trek uniform on, on the Spock years. And he also was Bozo. And then he also doubled as the host of the uh, the monster movies, like as as Count Gore Duval. And um, and then uh, what kind of money do you think he got for doing all these different shows? I don't know. He was just the guy who was always on Channel Twenty, and like whenever you turned it on, he was there. He was just—I mean, I don't think he got paid all that well, but he was a local celebrity. Actually, KOP, our buddy KOP, did a documentary about him a couple. I years remember ago. when he did that. Yeah. And. Uh, when he would play it at the theaters, he would rock it out locally. Like people were like, "This oh, is yeah. amazing!" That's it shit. Was huge. People loved it. It was, yeah. it, was it brought back so much of the. Uh, and and would not a documentary on Gene London be just like the best thing? I mean, oh, you yeah. guys, my, my guys had no idea who he was. No, but it, did he not come in here like? Oh, a, a complete character and just a fascinating story behind all of it. But what was really funny is so like he comes in. And Fez meets him, you know, in the lobby and brings him down. And he, Gene London was just like, to me, like, look at you, Ron. You're doing so good. Look at this place. Like, he was my old kindergarten teacher. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, I didn't know. Him. And I was just like, yeah. Yeah, Gene. Thanks, Gene. We got a lot of stations here. <laughs> <laughs> I swear to God, you cannot kick the way you feel as a kid. You can't uh, get around it. But he was... Still so Gene London, whatever this thing that he made and carried out, he's just done it throughout his whole life. Um, all right, Mikey Boy, thanks for calling. All right, see you guys. Um, let's play for the people. Now, you pulled two of the clips. This is going to go on an hour this weekend. Yeah, mm -hmm, that's right. That's weekend. Stars 2, it'll air around 2.30, and on the virus, it'll air around 9.30. And it's uh, Gene London PM. Uh, hanging out with us. About as big a star as a human being can get, in my opinion. But he was still talking about imagination and making your dreams come true. Yeah. And uh, like a kid, I was just sitting here staring at him as he's doing it. Because there are things exploding in my brain, taking me back. All those days. Yeah, yeah, I'm sitting. You were a child. Yeah. But literally, like, back there, you know, like, there's things where you get up before your parents, turn the TV on yourself, yeah. and just start staring at it. Just fucking anticipation, just waiting for it. I can remember, with this guy's show, 
that I would be standing and looking up at the TV. I wouldn't even sit down. <laughs> and you do that kid shuffle back and forth. And just the... Like a metronome. Just, yeah. Just that thing of, oh, I'm getting my fix. You know? That's right. That first thing that you get to learn how to, like, just let your subconscious explode. Um, let's play one of the clips. What's this one about, Fezzi? This is Gene Lennon talking about storytelling on his show, Cartoon Corners. Now, to say I did an interview with Gene Lennon would be a lie. What we did is just brought him in here, and he just went on from any part of his life. You know, it would just be this big story that he has turned into his own mythology. But I'm telling you... This is exactly the way it was when I was a little kid. And I don't know why some people can grab kids' interest. But I can also tell you this, when we're talking about like what this guy meant to me, I can guarantee you I knew who Gene London was before I'd met any of my buddies. You know what I mean? Uh -huh. All the friends in my neighborhood, we all knew who Gene London was before we were old enough to go out and play. Socialize, yeah. Yeah, we didn't do any, you know, like I watched this show before my mom was able to say, like, all right, don't leave the block. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Before I got that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, where maybe you would go out in the backyard, but your mom would still be there. Yeah. Like two, three years old, <laughs> I was watching this dude. That's nuts. So for him to come in and, um, and just talk to us is just mind-blowing to me. But it's also nothing that I would be able to put in any kind of conscious terms. You know what I mean? To, to be able to explain to you what I got out of it or why a man just being in this little box telling these long stories mattered to me at all. Couldn't, couldn't tell you. Couldn't tell you. That's why it matters. But there was other stuff on TV when I was a kid that I wasn't as transfixed by. Now, not only that, sometimes when he would tell stories, he would break into tears. That's crazy. Now, when you're a little kid and you see an adult crying... That's some serious shit. It's like being in an earthquake. You're just like, oh my God, the adult world. This shouldn't be happening. Yeah. So it was um, really, really wild, but we'll play just a couple minutes for you here. Well, when I told these stories on television, and all the kids said the magic window, as you remember, Ron, mm -hmm. uh, and I'd play the stories and I'd act it out. I would look at them and they'd look up at me and, and they peed themselves into a puddle all around him, all around the kids. And the kids who would move away from the advancing puddle of pee-pee, <laughs> I thought, oh, wow, I haven't gotten those kids. They know what's really happening. <laughs> but I love telling stories. And... It was because I was a puppeteer. I made my money as a little kid, um, my allowance, uh, by doing children's parties. For as long as I can remember, I had that gift of making what was in my mind a reality. Yeah. I was really a producer, and so I produced myself, produced my show, and... I guess I'm still producing, talking to you to people about these silly things and making them sound like they're important, and they are. Um, but you, when you did tell those stories, it was almost like a play. And I remember being a kid, as you're telling this story, it would seem like that maybe there were 15 people, you know, in this story at any given time. Well, I'm a Gemini, so I think there are probably 5,000 different people in me. Yeah. Um, I loved playing... The dwarf. I love playing the giant. I love playing women. 
Mm-hmm. I thought that was so unusual that I could really play because I'm a producer, and I knew it. I knew that I could act the part of anything, of anything. That's the power. I cannot begin to tell you how much he talks the same way in his confidence level. But what I tried to explain to him through my little kid voice that you just heard is that sometimes in my memory, I get confused about what I saw. Instead of just seeing one person, sometimes I'll look back on it and think maybe I saw a play or something when I was a kid. Because that's how wrapped up you would get into it. But I want to go back to something that he said that no one would allow today. He would scare the kids in his audience so bad he peed, they peed themselves. There was piss. And he's telling the story in the way of, that man, I got him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I got him. That's so the goal. He was, at certain points, um, terrifying. At other points, really, really sad. Uh, you know, like, if you just hear about something happening to an animal or something yeah. when you're a kid, you get so wrapped up in it. But I, I seriously don't have the concepts to say here's when I started here's when I decided I was too old because the show ran for like 18 years or something so I have no idea to tell you where I was you know what ages that it it meant more to me but uh, I do remember that my cousin Georgiana went there with a brownie troupe and had gotten on the show there was something to do with a paper airplane and she picked it got thrown she picked a paper airplane and carried it over to gene london and handed it to him nice. so here i am a little kid seeing my cousin inside this magic box <laughs> interacting with, with the, the guy man. who's either scared me or made me happy or made me sad and it was like mind-blowing to me just mind-blowing that you could show up there and do this, which also just seemed much way too large for my head to be able. You know what I mean? Like I wasn't somebody who said, "Hey, Dad, you got to take me there." Maybe because I didn't want to pee myself on television. You know, maybe that I thought good call. It might be good enough to have that hallway I can run down if I get a little too nervous, like I do here. Uh, but we brought this up about kids shows. Um, every town had them or should have them because I do think and it isn't just about you know education like with Sesame Street I mean I'm sure Sesame Street is great that's terrific but really you're going to get school can you just have some entertainment yeah you don't go to a movie now and want to be just learning things every couple of seconds you want to be entertained and this guy um I don't know. I mean, I guess you could say like a, a Lily Tomlin is somebody that kind of remind you where Lily Tomlin would do those Broadway plays and play everybody at the same time. Um, he definitely, in playing to adults, could have uh, been some kind of uh, performance artist. Um, we're going to play the entire thing this weekend. It's an hour. And quite frankly... Uh, it's generally almost an hour of, of just him talking. I don't remember too many questions. You know, all you got to do is just turn it a little bit, and off he goes. What's the next piece about? The next one is basically his inspirations for Quigley Mansion and putting his show together. 
Um, and then we should probably have some of the songs. Did you open it and close it with the songs, uh, Hicks? I, I yeah, I the songs I could find. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're not. There's not a lot of it on, but the ones that well, we'll play uh, just a piece of some of the songs. You probably have them there on YouTube, Fez. Um, but how long is this piece that we're doing? Um, about uh, not quite two minutes. All right, let's take a listen. This is Gene London, a very famous. Uh, Philadelphia talk show host, kid show host, uh, and I'm doing an hour with him this weekend on Ron Bennington interviews. Uh, here's just uh, a little bit. On my show, I had a, a Quigley Mansion, it was called, and it was a set. I remember we were a Philadelphia television show, and we didn't have much of a budget, and and uh, we did drama. Um, I had a girlfriend named Debbie Dibley who uh, looked just like Elizabeth Taylor and um, and swore like a trooper when, when we weren't on television, you know, between takes. And she was just incredible. And uh, And I knew that the movies my mother took me to were an indoctrination into the motion picture industry. And they did everything. There was the Invisible Man, there was Frankenstein, there was Dracula, there were all of these creatures. And I knew that Appen Costello, when they went to a haunted house. Um, I love that movie where they were zany and funny and, and Frankenstein uh, was in the house. And, and so I wanted the same thing for my haunted house. And, um, and the kids, I knew that I appealed to all ages. That the little kids just felt a sense of security with me. And everyone did and still does. And it was... A haunted house to me was magic, mm. magic, uh, and I knew I had to have it on my show, and I did. But of course, we had like underneath the Cartoon Corners General Store, there was the catacombs uh, dug by the pirates way back when. It it it's just the ravings of my mind. Now, here's the weird thing: as an adult, uh, and I know a lot of performers. I've done, you know, 200 hours of uh, Ron Bennington interviews. We've done almost 60 straight hours of The Unmasked Show. And I don't know if I've ever met anybody who is so confident oh. as Gene London, where I know that everybody likes me. And I have that thing with kids where kids are going to be enthralled. Like, he comes into this believing, just 100% uh, trusting and believing in his talent. Uh, and it was uh, an amazing, amazing thing for me. And Fez, the fact that you found him and brought him in here was just mind-blowing to me. Mind-blowing. He was equally as excited to come talk about Cartoon Corners with someone who... Got it. Yeah. Got it, Fez. That's what you're trying to say. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I, I walked him out here, and it was... A really strange experience to have that. But, you know, he's kind of holding on to my arm and we're walking past and I'm just explaining to him and he's just really thankful to have the chance to come in and share this and to come back into New York for it. And he says, uh, and I'll never forget this as long as I live. He says, can you imagine I come back into New York City riding in a limousine? And I just thought, Fezzi, you did it upright. You you took care of him uh, because the guy should be in a limousine, in my opinion, no matter where he's going. 
again, I don't want you to think this is some guy who's sitting around thinking about the past because what he did after it, he built this multi-million dollar business Crazy of movie memorabilia, which he ends up talking about because he knows old movies like very few people uh, that I've ever talked to before. So he's had this grand life long after his time as a children's host, but still playing in that Hollywood magic, you know, yeah. still playing in that. Um, it was an amazing experience, though, to sit down with him. And again, Fezzi, I do want to thank you for, for doing that. It was just, uh, it was really mind-blowing. And I don't know whether I'll ever get the full thing of what that meant, you know. I try to talk about this with people all the time, of you know, because people will say, to you, oh, you know, when you're in that situation, meeting that person when you're nervous. Generally, it's only the people that you really liked when you were younger. You know, I would certainly uh, be, like, even with sports stars, the guys that were the sports stars to you when they were a kid, they stay the sports stars your whole life. T.O. comes in here. He don't mean nothing to you, but some little kid, he <laughs> could. T.O. just seems like a guy. Maybe he should be doing this or that. <laughs> you know, hey, it's great. He plays. That's terrific. But you never have that thing of, hey, I want T.O. to have a good time. Or You know, I can honestly tell you before this thing with Gene London, I, I would think to myself, I just want him to have a good time. I don't want him to end up hating or hating this. Whole, you know what I mean? Like, that would be crushing. If he just started to say to me, you really run an awful show. That's like the thing that I had to push out of my mind. That that possibility could even happen. But And I never think about that with someone else. I never mm -hmm. think about it, you know? Yeah. But even when, like, rock stars come in here, uh, you know, Brian Ferry or David Bowie, those guys are going to matter to me more than somebody who had, you know, 10 number one hits now. Yeah. Someone tells me Katy Perry's down the hall. I go, oh, that's great for the, for the station. Great, great, but it's nothing about her. It's just, I'm sure to somebody of the right age, you know, some 10-year-old girl would go crazy 50 years from now if they run into oh Katy Perry. Oh, my God, it's Katy. Thanks for your, your own kind of Gene London, yeah. where you act out the voices. <laughs> all right, so all that's going to run this weekend. <laughs> uh, later on today, we're going to play The Unmasked with uh, Penn Jillette, which I think is a... Uh, a terrific one, too. Um, we'll break here. Back in just a couple of minutes. It's the Ron Fez Show.
the time they nearly might have been Bones and oogie on a silver screen No one knew what they could do Except for me and you They slip away They slip away Don't forget to keep your head warm Twinkle, twinkle, conquer void show on a Friday and Fridays here in New York City and it's like doing the show alone you look at this building and what do, we had just like a ton of guests in here yesterday <laughs> it was too much to keep up with and Friday everything is just shut down because it's all about three day weekends yeah ghost town uh, on the weekends people just gotta get out of the city they know they only got a couple more weeks left I have to go summer and yet uh, another nice, cool day. It's like living in the mountains, <laughs> thanks to Jinxie, who told us there's nothing hotter than in August. Nothing more wonderful than in August right now. You pulled it off as... August just, isn't over. It'll be stifling be t before it's done. Even if it is, we've ended up with, what, then, 50 60%? Of an August with really nice cool weather. Yeah, really. Uh, the, Even if it gets stifling. The July was shitty, but this has been great. July was hot as hell. Yeah, that was fucking horrific, but this but has been it, great. This will let you know that you're getting older when you hate summer and <laughs> go like, I can't wait till it gets cold again. The exact opposite of how you feel when you're a kid. Uh, Penn Jillette, Unmasked, coming up a little later on in the show today. Um and we brought up Ron Bennington interviews over the weekend with uh, Gene London's going to be on with us. And also some other cool stuff if you didn't catch it during the week. That's right. Mickey Hart will be right before Gene London. Mickey Hart was one of my favorite conversations. It was really cool. It was really cool just to have like a scientist musician in here. and just, just, it just He really was because some people were saying to me, man, he was so spiritual. And if you go back and listen to it, I oh. don't know. I think it had to do more with like evolution and, and DNA. But... Some of the stuff that blew my mind that we got talking about, where I actually had to stop them and say, let's go back over this, was the, you are more or less a product of your generation because of the noise of the world, that you would not be doing rock and roll in the 1600s because the world itself different. did not sound that way. That's kind of crazy to me, and I loved it. And it's this whole thing of everything builds on each other. But if you think to yourself, hip-hop could not have existed in the 1960s. Um, and what was it about the world that got louder and more aggressive so that by the 70s, we really ended up with heavy metal mm -hmm. and punk rock? Yeah. You know, it's such a more... The climate of the world has changed. And so yeah, it's a more desperate feel 
going on, and then the 80s come up, and look at the way punk rock changed and how fast it got. became hardcore. And uglier, yeah, and then at the same time, speed metal is going down, and hip-hop is breaking out at the same time. But it never really... It never occurred to me that what he was saying, because I really thought it that maybe the fact that you don't hear like a, a new Beethoven is because maybe some, you know, maybe we're stupider about music or we don't work as hard. But the fact that that kind of music now it does work in film scores. You know what I mean? Like when you watch a film score, you're looking for that big sweeping sounds of classical music. And a lot of people now on their iPods will just have all these film scores that give them a relaxed, peaceful feeling when they need it. Um, But anyway, the Mickey Hart was great. Who else we got? Then uh, it'll be Gene London. Then Jeff Bridges will be playing. And then Stephen Levy. All great uh, conversations. It was a uh, great week. By the way, also thanks to Ronnie Spector being in yesterday. We just adore that woman. We're just crazy about her. She's great. Uh, There's just something um, about her. But, you know, I kind of walked her and her her husband down to the lobby. And um, Alexis uh, Alexis Joel, who's Billy Joel's daughter, sees her. Billy Joel's daughter, Alexis, is doing, you know, music. Very talented kid, as a matter of fact. And she sees Ronnie, goes running over to her, and they're posing for pictures. I forgot that Billy Joel wrote a song about Ronnie Spector. You know what I mean? Yeah. So the weirdness of, hey, my dad wrote a song about her years ago. It's just wild what happens here sometimes. The crazy connections that happen. I know. Just running into people. (laughs) I know. It's just really, really wild what can happen in the hallway here. Uh, between a couple different shows. Matter of fact, I think she was doing Jane Pratt's show. We should have Jane on one day. She started Jane Magazine years ago, and a uh, very interesting person. I believe uh, Jennifer hangs out with her. Oh. Of course, if you're a mover and a shaker, Jennifer is friends with you. And probably saying to her, I want you to go to my website and watch me on a treadmill. I'm Look, justjenny.com or jenniferhot.com. Right, I'm in a tank top. I'm just bouncing back and forth. It's really sexy. You like bouncing tits, exciting. right? exciting. Wait, what was that? Is that your impression? Because it doesn't sound a lot like her at all. <laughs> I, why? Well, this sounds like Jennifer. No, not even close. <laughs> <laughs> hey, California. Do your big impression. John Doe's got that by hand. You don't really try to take it outside no. of the fucking realm that it's in. Well, Fez does Mo. Is there a man to hug and kiss here? I need a man to hug and kiss. Again, just staying with the line that he heard. Doesn't think like, what if Mo was in a different situation? No. Both you guys just quote the one line that you have. California. And then move on from that. Fezzi, I want to bring you into this today. You're wearing your hat. You're feeling strong about yourself. I want you to have a big swinging weekend. What do you got for me? Well, Burger King's announcing today they're getting rid of the King mascot. It's a whole new Burger King for us. Now they're going to start... Well, before we even get into that, did anyone think the Burger King mascot worked? I mean, that they put so much money into that. For years. And they would put them in the NFL things and doing weird things. And I don't ever remember anyone saying... I love the Burger King mascot. There was a video game, too. We had to sneak up on people as the Burger King. 
It never worked. It, you know, and well, you know, this proves that it didn't work because they're getting rid of it. Yeah. After putting what? hundreds of millions of dollars in that campaign? I mean, you never heard anyone saying, hey, did you see the new King commercial? No, but you would hear people saying, that King commercial skeeps me. You know what I mean? Like, people mm -hmm. would be weirded that he was standing in someone's room at one point. Right. Well, now they're going to focus on freshness. Mm. So it's all fresh ingredients with Burger King. They're going to have guacamole burgers and from fresh avocados. I don't know which is creepier, the King or Burger King saying we're all about freshness. Well, it goes to show you how, you know, you have to change with the times. Who would have thought that a, a fast food chain would be ripping off hippies' ideas? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, it was only a couple of years ago, if you started talking about local and fresh and organic, yeah. people would get mad at you. But as soon as they find out there's a market for it, here, Burger King will f make an adjustment to yeah. get your money. It's like, oh, this is what people like, but well, that's what we're all about now. It's farm fresh. Never farm mind fresh. the flame yes. broiled. What's that? I said never mind the flame broiled anymore. They're we're, still flame broiled. They'll right? still frame, flame broil, but now it's all about uh, the, the new commercials are going to show you uh, fresh tomatoes being chopped. Right, because they understand now there's a market for it. They're certainly not first in the market. Yeah. They're probably the last ones there. But Subway uh, has made a lot of money pushing that kind of thing on a fast food level. So that it just goes to show you any big company will just follow money. And when you go, oh, these big corporations are shoving us down the throat, only if you swallow it. If you don't, they will adjust. Mm -hmm. If you get fucking sick of what the big corporations will are doing, and I mean masses of people, Yeah, they'll adjust. But again, here's another thing out of leftist hippie culture that has become mainstream. All the things that people think that they can, you know, you can't change the world. These guys slowly but surely have made green a good thing. You know, when they started Earth Day, stupid. When they start local farmers markets, that's stupid. Um, but now everybody adopted. When they started talking about okay, the climate change is happening, everybody's saying no. Now you will hear conservative people embracing those ideas and trying to take them into their own. Yeah, you know, here's a corporation who before it was like people like things fried and we're going to give it to them, <laughs> and they fight back and forth. But they really don't believe in those ideas. They just believe in making money. But if you show them how they can make money doing good stuff, they'll do it for you. They will absolutely do it. Domino's and uh, Papa John's have been doing the same game. Like, we're going to take people to the farms where we get all our products and make our real ingredients with our real pizza. Oh, yeah. This is the farm where we get the tomatoes for our sauce. Yeah. They don't care. So they said they, uh, you know, they're going to focus on freshness, and their new target is mom's. What? They want to go after the soccer moms. Now, I don't know if the, if the moms are the ones that will be going through a drive-thru at 2 a.m. Well, not at 2 a.m., but they do it all day. And what they're saying is there's not the drunk market that there used to be. <laughs> it used to be, let's drunk go to Jack in the Box. It's a sad day. When they, when they started cracking down on drinking and driving, Jack in the Box was in real trouble. <laughs> you know, because Jack in the Box was the only 24-hour place oh, yes, and, right. uh, at the time. But, yeah, they, you know... 
it's one thing to sit back and act like you're superior and you know they're stupid, but it's not like they don't do this stuff with market research. And you know, even in your life, Fez, mine, Hicks, whoever, you were like, I don't give a shit what anybody says. I'm eating deep fried. Mm -hmm. Now, how often do you do it? I you know, you start to pick up a different thing because that's what the world is doing. NASA is, they have scientists saying that we need to cut down on the greenhouse emissions, the greenhouse effect. And one reason is if aliens from another civilization, another planet, are mon monitoring our planet, they're going to see that our climate is changing and think that we are just a pestilence in the galaxy. And if we're ruining our own planet, if we get too advanced, we'll ruin other planets and they'll come and wipe us out. All right. Well, first of all, I know this is not officially from what's, NASA. What's NASA doing? There's no way. Scaring us. First of all, I, and I got money. I don't know this story. I got money. This is not an official NASA statement. I don't know where the guy said it. But I'm sure it was just said, you know, off the cuff. It's not an official thing. Secondly, it sounds exactly like if someone said God is going to get mad at us for what we did at the planet make it start raining. You know what I mean? This is really, if you do care about saving the planet, it has to be from the human being thing, not worried that aliens are going to show up and start shooting us from lasers. But I'm willing to put down money that this is not an official NASA statement. Where did you get it from? Um, I think I got it on MSNBC.com. Oh, I'll see if I can find it. I thought you got it from... Um, but yes, we don't want the ETs to think that we're bad at housekeeping. That would be awful. But that's not the reason, I think, to save our planet. Okay, so it was NASA via Associates at Pennsylvania State University compiled a list of possible contact scenarios. That's this is where I switched from. You that's a long haul. That's NASA working with uh, Penn no, University. Yeah, but that's saying, hey, go ahead and do these things. And there's no reason that we shouldn't be acting like how, how can we, you know, it should people at a university should be sitting around coming up with those scenarios. But it doesn't mean that it's a scenario that would or would not happen. And I don't know why they would be mad. If we do, what, what would there be? First of all, we're not going to destroy our planet. We're going to destroy ourselves. Nuke, nuke ourselves in the fucking. Yeah, but the planet will go on. Mm -hmm. And it has happened. You know, we this planet's been through an ice age and came back. It went through an age where it was so hot, nothing that we think of as life could uh, be. And at some point. You know, when it comes down to do the, does the human species survive only really matters to us. It doesn't matter to anyone else. It only matters to human beings. Oh, yeah. It doesn't even matter to the whales. Well, what percentage of, of things that lived and were a species do you think are extinct now? Gotta be like fucking ninety five percent or something. What do you think, Fizz? I would think it's probably like uh, fifty percent. We've wiped out half of the species that lived here. It's a very interesting thing, and it just goes to show you the ego of human beings. That you said we've wiped out. No, it's much closer to what Hicks says. It's over ninety five percent. Something Je like ninety eight point nine or ninety nine percent 
of the species that existed. From my and it has nothing to do with human beings. Nothing to do with human beings. Human beings have only been on top of the food chain for a very, very small time. It doesn't have shit to do with us, but species come and go. And if that doesn't worry you, you're fucking crazy. You know, if you could just say naturally, hey, species come and go, I don't care. Or I don't care if the human race goes on. That's worrisome. Um, Nihilist, I guess. Yeah, you definitely are. And if you look back at some of the stuff that George Carlin did in his last days where I've given up. Oh, yeah. not just America, but human beings. Everything. We fucked it up. I don't give a shit about them anymore. Sick. They're going to wipe themselves out, and we're going to be done. It is one opinion to have. I mean, if no, you no, look yeah. no, historically no. with this, I mean, the fact that you're on uh, this fucking planet for a short time, and yet you're still dropping bombs and still just even getting mad. I mean, it's crazy to even get angry on this planet or worry that you've got a new fucking tech thing. Um Thomas, you're on the Run and Fez show. Hello? Yeah, go ahead, buddy. Uh, I'm a geologist down here in Mississippi. I got three radio Earth, shows. Uh, I know. People, the Earth has been warming and cooling since its beginning. It, the human beings are like, it's like saying ant affected the uh, structural integrity of the Empire State Building. It's not going to happen. I mean, of course it's warming. And it'll cool down in a couple million years then, too. Yeah, but the fact of the matter is... Even if that is a natural way of being, you still want the human species. We want the human species to go on. Fuck yeah. And, you know, we, we have, have to, to either find something on the earth that works for us or leave the earth. Yeah, let's get the fuck out of There's here. There's nothing wrong Colonize. With, with, with that kind of long-term sink thinking. Now, it's not going to happen during your lifetime. No. But it's not, the, it's not something that the human beings should not uh, be thinking, where do we take this in the next, uh, you know, thousand years? Because you don't, I personally don't like the idea of the human experience and the human experiment not making it. To me, that's kind of heartbreaking that on just the level of, you know, music will disappear, um... Art will disappear. Literature will disappear. That would be very, very disappointing. Particularly when you see how much better we are at it than the other species. But, and all the time that we talk about our art and how beautiful it is. I don't know if we've ever made anything as great as a, you know, a spider web. I don't know if any human being has ever pulled off something as perfect as what a spider does almost naturally it might be just my own fucking ego going uh we're the ones that fucking laid this down you know we've done something perfect i don't know um but i don't know why people don't get it in their mind that it's a fucking cool thing to to want to go down uh, uh, people don't care roadhog you're in run of fez yo fezzy do yes. you realize that for fucking billions of years uh, the earth has been heating and cooling, and uh, the dinosaurs came and went, and this whole planet was a, a ball of water at one time, and it was a ball of ice at one time. Waterworld. Yes, I realize all of that. Yeah, so, so 
where does this global warming shit come in? It's it's not man. It's, well, it's the problem is, is now we live in uh, we decide, you know, as people, we live in the flood zones. So if it does warm up even naturally, it's our places that we live that are going to go underwater. That's because we live everywhere. That's the fucking problem with us. We live everywhere. We live the places that we don't belong. That's the weird thing about us. Because we want to, because we can just follow showing off technology. Just we'll be because unlike other species, we put a really high level on beauty. You know what I mean? Yeah. In our minds, we're like. We want to live on the beach. We want to live on the top of the island. We want to live in beautiful uh, San Fernando Valley, despite the fact that it's in a very fucking dangerous place that they know within 50 years or 100 years mm. or, or 150 years it's going to crack. And that doesn't stop millions and millions of people from living there. They don't care. And then, you know, just like New Orleans. It's not a smart idea <laughs> to live bog. in New Orleans. It's not a smart idea... To live under sea level when you're close to the water. But we're like, well, it's a great place. It's awesome. You know? yeah. So we make the concessions to that and off we go. Roll dice. But we have, we're all over the planet right now. We're everywhere. I mean, I'm sure at one time there was probably as many, you know, lions as there were people or something. You know what I mean? There was probably <laughs> as many monkeys running around as there were people. But the chances of you running into any of them on a regular day just don't fucking happen. But we think, oh, it's natural. Can you imagine another? Well, look what happens when another species starts to move into continents. We all freak out and say, yeah. this is an unnatural this, this is an occurrence. Yeah. This squirrel has fucked up everything because it doesn't belong over here. It's killing beetles. the other squirrels. It's fucking around. It's eating the corn. We do that and we consider natural. Any other species that does it. When the killer bees start to move up, oh, no. we're like, this is an unnatural occurrence. Um, here's Archie in Jersey. You're in Fez. Hey, what's up, boys? How you doing today? Good. Just a uh, quick point. I'm not a hippie by any stretch of the imagination, but if you really think about it, humans are the worst thing that ever did happen to this planet. We pollute the skies cut down the forest, you know, use all the resources for ourselves and don't give a fuck about anything else. Well, like, like b before you even get into that, mm -hmm. we are the worst and best thing that's ever happened to the planet, probably. I mean, quite frankly, we've done a lot of wonderful fucking things in terms of what an evolved species can do. And it's bullshit if you just sit around and run us down. If you tell me another fucking... Uh, species has been able to cut down a fucking tree, turn it into a boat, or a fucking bass guitar, you're out of your mind. I'd like, seriously, I'd like to see the fucking rabbit that can pull that off. I'll fucking hand him a thousand dollars. A thousand dollars right now to any rabbit that can fucking make a canoe. It's a done deal. I'm laying it down. What's he even going to do with that cash, though? I mean... And buy fucking carrots. I'd fucking love that money if I was a rabbit. So it's not like you can just suddenly turn us down and fucking rip us. But we do have responsibilities. You know? And it's a responsibility. If you don't want to be a hippie and say it's a responsibility to the earth, it certainly is a responsibility to fucking future generations of humans. If you're the type of person who cares. I've talked to people who go... 
Look, after my life, I don't give a fuck what happens. Yeah, well, I think well, most people don't. I aren't looking in the long I run. I don't believe that for a second, or else most people wouldn't no, be having children. Don't fuck children. Most people, you say fuck children, <laughs> to go to show that you're not most people. <laughs> to say fuck children is like saying fuck the species. It doesn't, you know, it's not something that comes naturally to humans. I think human beings, on a biological level, mm-hmm. want the species to go on and wants it to be uh, better for those children and then for their children's children than it is for them. I think it's always been that way with human beings. Um, Dave, Dave in San Francisco, you're on my Fez. Hey, what's going on, guys? Hey, Ronnie, there's always been the thing that, hey, we're wasting the water, you know, save water. I know we need it to drink, but that same amount of water has been here since time began. It's not going anywhere. We're in a bubble, so it's always here. Yeah, but if it's not drinkable water, it's useless to us. Yeah, it's it, ends up being, it ends up being filtered. Yes, but the, is it going to be filtered on the level that we need it to be filtered? Do, filtered every, every season it rains, that's filtered water. Yes, it's I get that, but fun. dude, listen, if that sky is polluted, it's not fucking filtered. Fucking acid rain. And I'll tell you something else. Uh I saw another the documentary that I went to the other day took place in New York in the 60s. New York in the 60s had a fucking cloud of smog that was above it on a constant level. I dare you to go back and watch any of the stuff, and there's tons of films from the 60s, uh, documentary stuff, that you don't see this gray cloud right at the top of all the buildings. And we've cleaned that up within 50 years. The Hudson River in the 1960s was disgusting. Fish couldn't survive, blah, blah, blah. You couldn't eat any fish out of it anyway. We've cleaned that up. It's not that we can't do things. We do it all the time. Um, And people really got pissed off in the 60s when we started changing cars. But all you got to do is look back at that. The fact that people complain about smokers and, oh, my breathing, and it's going to get in... You're not fucking paying attention to cars at all. Um, let's go over to our buddy Pat in Long Island. Hey, Pat. Hey, Ronnie. Hey, Fezzi. Uh, there have been five mass extinction events throughout the course of history that science... Well, there's a couple of prominent scientists agree on this. The general paradigm is that there have been five mass uh, extinction events over the course of history where half the species on the planet die out. Now, a lot of, we don't realize because we're walking around on the land, the majority of these species that die out in these mass extinction events are aquatic. We don't even realize how many animals die out in the ocean periodically. Right, and perhaps, and just from a scientific point of view, that there is a finite time that any species is supposed to be on the planet. Yeah, that's that's also a theory that, you know, you're going you're gonna to run out your... Uh, Usefulness. The time that's allotted to you. And not that humans aren't affecting the climate. Anybody that says that we're not affecting the climate is is full of it. But the idea that we shouldn't try and repair the environment and allow our species to survive, that's ludicrous. Fucking ludicrous. It does seem like there's a certain amount of madness to... All right, let's just look at it from, from the people who go, I don't give a fuck. I only care about me, right? Yeah. What good are they to the rest of us? If you really, if you start to think about it and think that that the only reason for life on a biological level, right, 
is to give more life, right? What good are the people who take Chris Stanley's point of view of fuck children and I only care about me? Perhaps they're no good to our species. Perhaps people who think that way. Actually, they are good to our species. Oh, good. Well, let me hear it. Because I'm ready they, to kill Chris right here. Well, come on. The same, the same thing as, uh, as homosexuality. Uh, it helps keep population levels down. That's no, I don't, mean, I don't mean in the fact that he's not having children. I mean in the fact that he doesn't care about the future. You know what I mean? Like, he, like people that would be willing to use shit up now rather than uh, anything else is kind of fucking amazing to me. You know, it's kind of amazing and makes you think, well, do we need those people? Like if I was uh, a dictator, like any dictator, you start to think, hey, the only useful people are the people who agree with me. You know what I mean? And that happens all the time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, people look at Hitler. It's happened many, many times where the dictator will just think, I'm just the best way for me to get a 100% approval rating is to kill everybody who's not in the approval rating. And that will bring the approval rating right up. I'm going to look great. It's fun to try to think. I see you going back and forth <laughs> like, is it this or it's that? I may have to take over the planet. And I may have to start and kill people who don't think like I do this moment. I don't know if I'm going to feel this way tomorrow. Okay. I'll make some adjustments. All right. Um, here's Abby in D.C. You're on Run of Fez. Hi there. Yeah. Um, I have no problem with mass extinction at all. Abby, where exactly do you live? I want to make sure I get you on this list I'm drawing up for my dictatorship. <laughs> Abby, I, I'm, I'm everywhere. Yeah. No, I, I, I have a problem with, you know, suffering and things like that, obviously, but part of life is death, and there are things that have to come to an end, and human beings are going to be coming to an end at some point in the future. And now, I, now, tell me what, why human beings should come to an end. I didn't say they should. I said that they're going to. Well, I, I think that human beings are terrible, terrible creatures. Um, we do awful things to one another. We do awful things to other creatures. We don't really give a shit about how our behavior affects everybody else. Now, hold on. Before you say that, the only reason that you know that is because we're the only creatures that have logic or uh, the ability to have criticism. So you can thing. sit down and say that. No lion is going to say, you know who's the worst fucking lion that's ever been around is that one. Uh, Gary the lion's right. a dick. Well, and that's, that's part of my point is that we feel like we're superior just because we have abstract thoughts. That makes us somehow yes, better. Yes, it does. And more, deserve, and more deserving of... Uh, uh, comfortable and happy life. But it, no, even before you get to, I'm not, I'm not even saying that we're deserving. I'm saying it's something that we should strive for. Now, here's the difference between us and the other creatures is that we do have an ability to leave the planet. If we put our minds to it, within a couple thousand years, uh, we could be all over the universe. And take yes. a look through the Hubble. It seems like there's a, a lot of room for us to stretch the fuck out once we had all the stuff lined up to do it with. Not a lot of plants with water. But then we'll take, then we'll drag all that, these that other you creatures see. Yeah, exactly. That we found. 
and that's, you know, we're doing these things to other creatures against their will because we can, because we're superior. And it's bullshit. And why, why does that give us any right to exist? All right, so you're, uh, I guess you're a vegetarian then, are you? Actually, I busted Fezzi's balls when he was pissed at Sarah Palin for a caribou hunting. I'm a vegan. All right, so you're I, a straight... I don't, I don't fuck with any animal products. Now, and you it. do that for, like, a spiritual purpose or philosophical I, it purpose? Sta- it started out as a health kick, and that didn't last very long, but I started learning about factory farming and all the awful things that we as human beings do for our own benefit. Now, even while you say that, you realize that that it's an adjustable thing that perhaps in the future you might be looking at a vegan um, species. You really could figure out that we could come up with a couple of moves and maybe we'll be a vegan species one day. We could, but I don't see it happening. But the possibility that... There's too many people out there who say... I eat meat because I can, because... All right, forget all that, though, but Abby, let's say this. If we were a vegan culture, would you then want us to survive? Um, I don't think it would take away all the other things. There's people who do, who eat vegan for strictly health reasons. Um, There's people who eat vegan because they think it makes their shit not stink. Now, I know I shit several times a day, and that shit stinks, so... There's there's different reasons for everybody. So, so you just you're just anti-human. Ah, uh, yeah, more or less. Yeah, I I stopped giving a shit a while ago, and it it makes me feel better. <laughs> I guess. I don't All right, know. I get it. All right, thanks a lot for calling in. So she's not one of the ones that's going to be traveling on into a, a better tomorrow. I don't know why. Seriously, I don't know anybody out there if you're a sci-fi fan. And not say to yourself, hey, we really should shoot for the fucking Star Trek thing. Oh, I would that love it. That seems like where human beings should put themselves in. Let's Star Trek this shit out. Well, it's not, not going to happen soon. But in the world of fucking Star Trek, the first guys who tried it didn't work it out. It took a fucking while. I don't know why it's not something that you would want. Nick, you're in front of us. Hey, buddies. Yeah. Uh, Kind of like how you said, Ronnie, how you look at people who don't want to contribute to society is kind of crazy. I, I kind of see it the other way around, man. Like, when I see, you know, charity workers and even as interesting as it is, like space program kind of stuff, it's like, you know, people devote their whole lives to it knowing that they'll never see the results of their work, which is uh, kind, of crazy, kind of crazy to me. It's I like, know. You can say that, Nick. Are you a father? No, I'm not. And don't get me wrong. I, I want to have kids. Nick, and, you know, hold I'm on. Let's like just go back to it. I don't, I don't want you to run off on a place because like it seems like you're already having thought about it too much. You have parents. Yes. Uh, good parents or bad parents? Great parents. It doesn't seem weird to you that they didn't wander off, leave you when <laughs> you were a baby and go partying? I mean, it didn't seem to be a huge payoff for them no, all the time. I- you can understand selflessness when it comes to parents, right? Yeah, but not I only do you understand it, you demand it out of parents. Sure. Now, why would they just look at their own offspring and not the whole world since their own offspring are tied into it? Nick's parents, as hard as they worked, all that will be for naught because the fucking species will not exist anymore. What's the fucking purpose of this, of doing anything if the species doesn't go on? That's the whole fucking reason to be alive, is to move 
the species along. Not just for me, but for a fucking cancer cell. A cancer cell attempts to keep cancer going. Yeah, it does. But it, sometimes it will do it down to killing the fucking thing that it's inside of. It goes to show you we can be smarter than fucking cancer. That's right. So you have to be fucking um, thinking about this. Um, let's go over here to uh, Rich, Rich in Buffalo. It's funny because I, I was wondering about the Star Trek ideal as well. And, and libertarianism is all about uh, corporations and letting individuals be free. But I don't see how you get to the Star Trek world government and prosperity of, of the human race without big government, you know, running the EPA, running the FDA, having oversight over the safety of our, our people. If, if, you, if you leave that to the states, they're going to be... So you're, you know, you're now blaming the libertarians? Well, no, but I'm just wondering, if it, and I consider myself somewhat of a libertarian, but when it kind of runs contra to what's good for humanity in the long run. Um, well, let's move into this. Libertarians are about promoting things for the future. It's in their best interest, I believe, if their children survive. You don't run into libertarians who want chaos. No. You know what I mean? You don't run into libertarians who go, uh, let's not have any defense at all. <laughs> let's, libertarian is more about keeping your basic freedoms. You're not going to keep any basic freedoms if the species dies out. And we're not talking about this happening in five years. We're talking about can human beings Long run. as a species, not the United States of America, the species survive. Is it even a goal worth having? I don't know how you can sit here of course it is. like our young vegan friend and say, uh, I don't give a shit. The world would be better off without us. Here's Randy. You're on Run Fizz. You know, Ron, I just think it's hypocritical. People call in and they say what a horrible species mankind is and how we don't deserve to be on the planet. And But yet they go ahead and they consume. The, you know, they, they live in a house where the poor little bunny rabbit's house used to be. And But none of that matters, but we're still a human, you know, a horrible species. I and mean, if we're a horrible species, why would they want to continue living and, and, and making the planet a worse place? All right, so I've you, you kind of fought, you kind of made a point, made an argument for the other side, and where are you now? What is it that you would like to see happen, Randy? Well, I mean, if you don't like the planet, you know, you don't have to be here. Just stop breathing and and go away. I mean, so if you don't like it, leave though. Yeah, 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 yeah well, love it or leave it. That's not what I meant to say, but no, but it it does. Know. It uh, I get your point that you're saying you gotta you know pull it up a little bit. I think. Um, Here's Mark. Mark, you're on Run Fez. Hey, how's it going? Good. Um, I'm actually, I'm, I'm like almost all the above of what you're saying. I'm vegan, I'm a libertarian, um, and I'm going to be cryogenically frozen when I die to be reanimated in the future to come back. Well, hold on, let's get into this. What if there's no one left to melt you the fuck out, dude? That's what you're going to be thinking power about. power goes out. <laughs> but that whole thing is I'm going to be frozen and not let other people do it for me. I don't know if that's going to be the way. Um, here is uh, Greg. Greg, you're on the Run Face Show. Oh, hey, boys. Uh, yeah, that vegan chick, her outlook is uh, tremendously bleak. I, I don't understand how you can go through life with that kind of outlook. And um, 
I actually like what's going on on our planet. I, every time I get in my car, Ronnie, I'm so blown away. I'm fucking driving 80 miles an hour on a highway. It's like, holy shit, dude, I'm driving a fucking car. I mean, what is wrong with people? We're fucking awesome. Well, if you just want, if you really want to look at it as a species, there are species out there that, uh, can survive in extreme cold weather. There are species that can um, survive in extreme heat. There are species that can survive underwater, species that swim on the water, species that fly through the air, species that burrow underground. We're the species that can do all those things. We fucking figure it out. Even though, if you look back to the early human... Not much fucking better, and in a lot of ways worse, than most of the other fucking species out yeah, there. we're pretty. If you would have said, if you would have been here 20,000 years ago, and said, these people are going to figure out how to fly around the planet. These people are going to figure out how to uh, swim like fish, and be out on, you know, and, and explore the oceans. No one would have gave you a fucking chance. Everybody would have fucking bet against that. Well, fuck you. Look at us now. Yeah. Look at a fucking carnival cruise ship and a fucking whale who lives in the water, has no fucking idea how to do it. Who does? Homo fucking sapiens. Woo! And they're good friends, the hetero sapiens. They're fucking walking that aisle. Run shit. 24 fucking 7. Running shit. Not only did we name, we run the planet, we named the fucking planet. These other fucking species have zero fucking branding rights. We've taken them all. How can you put down the fucking human beings? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. You gotta be kidding me. JC, gigantic human for us. Um... Lee, you're on running fest. Hello. Yeah, what's happening, Lee? Hey, the way I look at it is good Lord put me on this earth to stop the food chain. I'd rather eat meat than run around and try to graze right. like an animal. And, and, and you're the you're a Christian, I take it, right? I'm a, I believe in my own way. All right, but hold on. When you say the good Lord put you on here as the top of the food chain, here's what you have to understand. You weren't the top of the food chain. Your ancestors worked you to the top of the food chain. You're fucking riding on the shoulders of giants. So for you to act like, hey, look, I did it. You didn't fucking do it, dude. We all did it. Our ancestors did it. We fucking kicked ass, worked our way up. Kept it together. Now, it doesn't mean that you get lazy on it like the fucking last days of the Roman Empire. Those cock fucks still could have been running things if they didn't think to themselves, you know what? I just want to get my dick sucked. I want to get high. I don't want to do anything else. Is there a time to get high and get your dick sucked? You fucking know there is, dude. I ain't taking that away from you. But can you do it every day and still run shit? No, you can't. You can't fucking do it. Well, it's easy to say you're on top of the food chain if you have a grocery store to go to. But we Where had, the chain has been laid out in front of you. But we were on top of the food chain before that happened. Our species oh, invented yeah. the fucking grocery store. You've been Don't, hunting. You know, if you're taking blame for the species, take credit for the species. 
and there hasn't been another species who knows how to fucking move things, trade things, share things, sell things, buy things. That's all part of human beings. That's our invention. The other ones don't know how to do it. So to act like, oh, we're lazy because we have grocery stores. No, dude. That fucking, those grocery stores is what part of, part of put us here. We're the ones who came up with how to move food around the planet. Those other fucking dickbags. A seagull, big fucking deal. You get something, you take it back, you spit it into a baby's mouth. Oh, Good. All right. Gross. You, you got fucking, all right. That's fucking step one. We were there 20 fucking 30,000 years ago. Now look at us. Uh, Matt, you're my fez. Hey, man, talking about getting your dick sucked and smoking weed all day or whatever, like the Native Americans, like before Cortez got there and fucked their shit up, they're like perfect harmony with the world and like just... You know, you say that, but then they still have word with each other. I mean, they were closer they, uh, to being like us than they were anything else. You would sacrifice a lot of time. And they fucking, <laughs> you know, they lined up against each other. They fought over stuff. You know, everyone romanticizes this, but it's a very good uh, point. Let's look at the Native American, right? Yeah. He was in more in harmony with his world and was, you know, traveling with the seasons, being part yeah. of it. What fucked him up is when other, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings here, harder working fucking people who had more technology came over here and he wasn't ready for it. That's what we got to worry about with other fucking planets. You don't want to just go, hey, this is the earth and we got it right. You want to set up a fucking defense system, aim some shit up high just in case. You don't know who the fuck is coming here. Just on the off chance. And I'll tell you this. If they do fucking come here, yeah. we better be loaded for bear or loaded for fucking alien. Because right. I've seen the fucking movies, and I'll they all look like lizards to me, and they fucking, seriously. They just want our water. I'll join a resistance movement right now. You take that water out of my fucking cold, dead mm -hmm. cup, because I'm fucking, <laughs> I ain't giving any. You want to buy some, let's talk about it. <clears throat> I'll trade water. Let's make a deal. Sell me some of those fucking spaceships you got. <clears throat> Brad, you're in Hey, buddy. The beauty of our society is that we have the most potential. None of the other species have the ability to change their society or change themselves. Well, we, even in the caveman days, the potential was there, even though we didn't attain it. And I think a lot of these groups today are bashing our abilities and our potential, where some people have the positive idea of our potential, who may be liberal or may be uh, the hippies of the world, and some people just down the ability of our potential. But we're the ones with that. Nobody else can do that. Well, wait, who's running down our potential? I think a lot of people who complain about how bad we treat society, each other, the planet, the environment, uh, as opposed to people who are looking positively at our potential, uh, even in the scientific world or just in the academic world, uh, or just the everyday people who feel good about themselves, they still believe in the potential of our society or our cultures or our species in general. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to agree with most of the thing that you're saying here. I do think that we need criticism and we should criticize ourselves just so we don't get too fucking lazy with it. But we, we do, when we have problems, we are able to solve problems. Now, the weird thing is everyone's acting like, well, technology causes problems. Technology also solves fucking problems. And any of the problems that we have now, 
and either being able to feed people or clothe people and power is only going to be solved by technology. Yeah, we can't go backwards at this point. We just don't go backwards. No, yeah, that's not, the fucking that's the deal. <laughs> uh Stephen Levy, who was in here the other day, who's done nothing but write about technology his whole time. And I forgot I go, well, you know, he was bringing up about artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. And that shit has always scared me from day one, mainly because of Jules Verne. That guys fucking saw this coming and being a problem before we even... Had a computer or even an inkling of it. Yeah, even before we knew what we were doing, they were like, watch out for the machines. They're going to start fucking with us. When they first brought it up, people were like, why? Steampunk computers. Yeah, why would that fucking happen? But the fact of the matter is, and he brought up, and this is a man who studied it, we never turn back technology. Once we got it, we got it. We got to use it properly, but we never throw it back. If there was a way to time travel, we'd be time travel motherfuckers before we decided whether it's a good idea or a bad idea. We would just start fucking doing it. Yeah, come on. Um, 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. Um, let's go over here to John. John in California. Hey, Ron. Hey, Fez. Hey, uh, one idea that might seem a little far-fetched, but human beings are kind of the only species, let's say, an alien invasion in the future that would be able to defend the planet and make it our home still. And we're the only species that's ever left the planet. I mean, that has to show for something. But also think of this. If an alien invasion happens, we're the only species that's going to know it and fucking pay any attention to it. You ain't going to get any fucking help out of the caterpillars. Dogs aren't. They don't give a fuck. And yeah, a dog would go running over to an alien just as quick as he would a fucking uh, Mexican. He doesn't care one way or another. You think a dog cares whether he's got a Mexican owner, a Swedish owner? No, he don't give a shit. Show me where the owners are. We did a show in here one time where a couple guys from the show... We're very seriously talking about how they would be willing to turn the planet over if someone would feed us and clothe us and give us health care. Fuck that. Yeah, that sounds fucked. Not for the big E, not for the big earthlings. We kick ass, we take names. And we've been doing it hardcore now. George, you're on Run a Fez. Hey, boys, how you doing? Yeah. My, po- my point, basically, is if uh, you want to look into the future, just look at the places that... Uh people have been the longest, like uh, Africa and the Middle East, and uh, I believe that's too much what this place can look like in another thousand years. We're just going to cut it all down, and then when it's all down, we just move on. Dude, you, uh, you're not making any sense at all. Go over there now and look at Dubai. Look what they were able to do in the middle of and, uh, those fucking deserts. If you see the pictures before and after from like 30 years ago or something, it's, it's not. Uh, uh, let's look at pictures no, no. of fucking Phoenix from 60 years ago. <laughs> before air conditioning, Florida's, Fez's home state of Florida had basically no one living in it. Christ. Now we're fucking packed down there. There's good and bad in all these fucking things. Uh, John, John, you're on Run Fez. Hey, Ron, I, I just read this article in last month's uh, Skeptic Magazine, and it was it was put forth because uh, Stephen Hawkins had warned about broadcasting into space because it might attract alien invasion. <laughs> and they went on to too late for that shit. That fucking that that cork is out of the bottle. <laughs> well, it, they went on to debunk the whole idea because they were saying that any civilization that was advanced enough to actually travel the distance here would never need our resources or even need to come here. 
or would even care about us because they were that far advanced. It was a pretty, you know, well-thought-out article, I thought. And this was in Skeptic Magazine? Yeah. Uh, I'm interested. I mean, first of all, what we have to worry about more is not so much that they'll want to beat up on us, is that they'll just not even consider us even slightly. Yeah, and just go over. That would suck. Some sort of alien sneeze, and then we're gone. Well, I don't know about a sneeze, but just like we did when we went different places, what happened to the the local plant life and local fucking animal life. It was just, you know, let's face it. Columbus, he fucking came across here. What did he find that they didn't have parrots or something, right? He didn't try to be friends with the parrots. He didn't try to negotiate with the parrots. He didn't sit down and go, hey, they got a different kind of lizard. Let me see if this lizard fucking cares about us. You know what I mean? He was only worried about his own species. When he found what we now call Indians, he was like, Dude, these guys are so fucking stupid. We're gonna we're gonna run roughshod. But he didn't even cons- at least them he considered before he you know fucked them in the gonorrhea. Yeah, good old time. Uh, Henry, Henry, you're on the Run of Fez show. It's Henry. How you doing, Ronnie? Good, buddy. Um, I was just thinking, man. Uh, Natural selection is kind of dumb. I mean, that's what we used to, that's what got us to where we are, the survival of the fittest. Mm-hmm. And now we've, like, allowed everybody to be included because we're a compassionate species. And, you know, it's like what got us here, we've spent all our resources now just dealing with, it sounds cold, but the the stupidest among us, we spend all our resources on that. Instead of maybe trying to advance humanity and go out into space like we've orbited for the last 30 years, all we've done is go up and orbit around the planet instead of going further out. And uh, now we've quit the space race totally, just so mainly so we can spend our resources on the the people that can't make it on their own. I don't know. It sounds harsh, but that's where I'm at. Um, I got a feeling, Henry, you'd be one of the first ones that they would try to peel off, though. So you should... Probably on the be on the side of that because to compare you, I'm like, let's suppose we did leave it up to rocket scientists. I don't think they would think Henry would be the type of guy to put resources into. But as far as us doing stuff, um, you know, preserving the planet or whatever, a big part of that is for our own enjoyment. We happen to love it. Yeah, we like air and fucking being able to hang out here. Not fucking this thing whole up. Yeah, but we also like keeping all the species around. We like to have them in zoos. True. Or in their natural habitat. White tigers? Shit. You get shit. a big fucking kick out of it. Look, it's, it's a cage. It's always amazing where, like, in Indonesia or something, they'll find some sort of frog that they thought just was gone generations ago, and then just all of a sudden this frog is back. Well, during your lifetime, people have found so many new species, too. Species that. We had never discovered before. Crazy. Crazy when you think about it. You would think to yourself, oh, I wanted to be a guy to fucking have a species, but I came in too late. Just get into the fucking ocean. I mean, there's, there's all sorts of fucking like, fish that are like prehistorically fucking old they've found. Not only that, they, they fuck around with the things that we thought were sure. I don't know whether you've ever seen those things in the ocean that are down there in that super hot water and you're able to fucking swim in and out of yeah. it. Yeah. That's crazy shit there, dude. 
right, we got a break here. Coming up in just a bit, uh, really a person I think is a, uh, a fine, fine thinker, and I, I love the unmasked that he did for us, Penn Jillette. Um, it starts because he's got this book, God No. Uh, some of it to do. He's one of those guys that belongs to the Skeptic uh, oh, yeah. magazine as well, I believe. And uh, that type of logical thinking stuff. He goes around making uh, Christians think in a different way, just for his own personal stuff. It has nothing to do with his job, <laughs> you know what I mean? But he likes it. Love him. And I, I honestly believe a big, di- a big part of it comes from having carny blood. That <laughs> carnies don't like the idea of being carnied. Or see the carny thing go too go to far. That, go, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, most uh, carnivals, there's always fucking slang from milking somebody too quick. They feel like the person should get a good experience out of it, mm-hmm. should have a fun day. And not bust and then, them. Yeah, not bust them fucking within five seconds. And those guys are normally, you know, chased out uh, because they they make for a bad vibe. Yeah. Uh, but you, it's very interesting to me how many magicians uh, become skeptics and uh, want to uh, fucking expose people that go around fortune tellers and believe in it, you know. Faith killers. Yeah, if there's a couple of bucks, I'll read your palm. You're not hurting anyone. But like these guys down uh, in Florida, did you see them? They took millions of dollars over uh, about a decade because they told people part of what's going on, your curse, your money is cursed. We need it to cleanse oh, it. Oh no! And then they never got the money back. Yeah, yeah. And the feds got involved in it. Good. But uh, we'll come back. We'll talk a little bit about Pendulette, and then coming up a little later on in the show, it's Unmasked with Pendulette. It's a it's a really really good one. The people that were there loved him, and really you just gotta you know. You just got to turn the key and off Penn goes. I mean, he he can talk about anything at all. He was a lot of fun that day. Um, so we'll break back to talk about that. The fact is, Penn turned you into an atheist, Fez? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I've uh, been there. Well, we'll talk about it when we get it. Let me break. You come back and you can explain yourself. It's the Ron Fez Show. I'll tell you about the magic and the free old soul, but it's like trying to tell a stranger about a rock and roll. Oh, you believe in magic? 
very mysterious during that uh, <laughs> song. Uh, Hicks, you tell me that you have a surprise for me. I got a little surprise for you because today is the anniversary of the appendicitis. One year ago today, you were in the Michael McKean mass, basically with something exploding inside of your body. So that was uh, actually a year ago. One year ago, nineteenth, two thousand ten, was the Michael McKean mass. Right. Well, then about this time a year ago, I'd have been sleeping in that chair yeah. right before we went in. <laughs> Uh, with a really high fever, and then somehow made it through. Well, I know I made it through. Michael McKean is really smart and was able to carry that fucking thing for me. And I even went back to the shows before leading up to that, trying to find you saying, like, I don't feel well or something, yeah. and nothing. Just no, I don't like to say <laughs> it on the air. I like to fucking bitch about it off the air. <laughs> like, I maybe heard you cough a couple times. Yeah. So I was like, fuck, I can't find this shit. So whatever. That's, all right. So I figured I'd get you a little something, because it's the anniversary, and that's fuck, it was fucking scary. When I got the call... I was like, what? You're going to surgery? This is fucked up. Yeah, What's going to fucking happen? Yeah, you are... Uh, yeah, you're not all that helpful in that kind of a situation because no, no. you just start cursing. <laughs> well, this is very weird to me. I, I'm not used to you doing something... I don't know what you've done here. I'm not really even that comfortable with it happening no. on the air. No, no, it's just... I mean, you're going to kiss me? Or no, no, do? bring it on in, guys. Come on, no. You know I, about this, Fez? Yeah, I know about it. Does this seem like something I would even like, or is it something I wouldn't like? Oh, you'll like it. Yeah. Cigars? No. No, Shit. not cigars. Had interns go deep into Red Hook, Brooklyn, early this morning, and got you a beautiful pie from 4 and 20 Blackbirds. I know you said you liked it beforehand. You haven't had it before. I don't know if you had it since. I got you the salty caramel caramel and a slice of the salty honey custard. Well, it's very nice of you. That They wouldn't sell me an entire pie of. They could only give me by the slice. So I got you a little something. Just, I don't know. Which I is weird because be nice. pizza places are just the opposite. Well, this is incredibly nice. And this is all because I uh, I survived? One year. One year to the day. We're sorry your appendix couldn't be here for it. I don't know why they wouldn't bring in a fork. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Just a little something. You said you liked it. I remember it. I thought I'd maybe get a little something. I, I don't know what to say. You don't have to say anything. If I was a regular person, I might be choked up about this. So this is an anniversary of something horrible, and well, no, you... Uh, it's good, because you, you got through it. Oh, said, okay, I see. Where do you see what we get you for 9-11? <laughs> oh, Jesus. I'm very uncomfortable. Now, you're saying you got it. Now, I heard Fez called it a Wii. Who was behind this? It was all Chris's idea. Well, that's very nice. This group effort. Well, that's very nice. Now, where are the cigars that come with it? I don't have any cigars. I apologize. Let's get the cigars in here, too. <laughs> Let's not fuck up and not act like oh, that's not part uh, of it. Well, that's very, very nice of you. You gave me half of a wonderful thing. <laughs> I don't like this laughing. It's I feel not bad. It's done. I know. It's a little disappointing. Oh. I'm sure cigars. Now, I don't know. What is this other pie that you got? As a salty. Caramel apple pie. They love salt at this place in Brooklyn. Well, it's a rock salt. That's nice. How is that? Right. Now, I'm going to give you a taste of this, Chris. Okay. But then, I'll bring it over. But before you even comment, you got to let the kick come in. There's an aftertaste to it. Oh. So go sit in front of the microphone so we can experiment with you. Looks very good. It's one of the greatest tastes in the history of the world. Holy shit. 
Wow, yeah, that kid is crazy. It hasn't even happened yet. It's still it's still happening with you. Yeah, it just started. I don't know why the sweetness with that rock salt. How'd they do that? Here, boys, take a bite of that. That's amazing. Yeah, it's an unbelievable pie place. Middle of nowhere. Yeah. Basically, Red Hook. Up and coming neighborhood. Well, my kids are going to be crushed that you stole their idea, but it's oh, really, I really... Didn't, I didn't know. Fez knew. Ooh, that's good. Fez was already told no once. Oh, I feel like an asshole. Oh, that's okay. Mm. I just won't tell him. <laughs> oh, boy. What's amazing is the rock salt keeps lighting up. Like, it doesn't completely dissolve. You get, like, another shot of salt as it goes by. You should be on the Food Network, Fez. You're really good at describing uh, foods like that. Well, it's very, very thoughtful, you guys. This half, I mean, if this would have came in with a box of cigars, oh. I would have said, this is fantastic. But yeah. this is half a fantastic idea. It really is. Okay. I mean, I'm going to definitely give you an incomplete on it. Oh, I understand, but I guess. If Just imagine what it would have been like if it would have came with cigars. Too. Trying to, yeah. So now you always remember... Cigars like when you surprised me on Monday, cigars are always part of it. <laughs> I have a half a fantastic idea. What's this? That's like half slices. That's what I'm doing. Didn't work. Why did you sound gay when you did it? Because I thought that's how you had to say it. Let's, see, let's hear you do it again. Can I have half a fantastic idea? No, you... I thought that's how it would gay, be said. Instead of gay, you're going for sickly. Like almost <laughs> afraid to call out. So uh. he's got the hands like this... But you know, ever notice this, that no one ever does their gay impression as a positive thing? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> they're really never, great for myself. You know, you'll never see someone do the gay of, you know what, we can get world peace. You know what I mean? That's a dick. No one ever comes up with, I've got a cure for cancer. <laughs> no one ever makes it seem like it's positive. All right, well, let's try this one. It's a salted what? Apple caramel. Now, I wish that you would have, you know, checked with me first. I don't like apple uh, in a pie. I'm on a surprise. It's okay. I should probably just check with my chick. Would have given you some of like, my, my flavor things. But again, I guess it's the idea yeah. that matters. I wonder how you got the one piece, too, because normally when I have this made, it has to be made special. Oh, they, they must have cut somebody time. out of somebody else's special. They say they only had one pie. On one, they only had whole pies of, in this flavor today. Mm. That's fucking stunning. That's good stuff. All right now, this one delicious. I'm not a big apple fan, so this is a. Uh, rock salt. Thanks for covering me while I'm uh, eating, yeah. too, guys. Yeah, it's so really that. It's that saltiness that's in every single pie, apparently. No, it's not in every single pie. You've got the two. <laughs> yeah, I still prefer my pie. Okay. Maybe if I could just cleanse myself with one of those cigars. Where are they, guys? Yeah. They don't have any cigars. Don't have any. You realize that my appendix were taken out a year ago. Yeah. And this is it? Pie? Thought you'd like it. Go back to the drawing board. Well, I, I like my slice until everybody started picking at it. Oh, you offered kind of. But I didn't know everyone was going to take big bites. <laughs> <laughs> that hurt my feelings. Well, that's very nice of you, Chris. It's from everyone. 
Hmm? It's from everyone. If it's not from everyone, it's not from everyone. If it was something you loved, I would have totally been on board. But since you were only okay with it, I'm going to say, oh, this is a Pepper Hicks idea all the oh, way. Thanks, Mark. Was he yeah. in it? No. It was all you? I was, it was just pretty much all me. <laughs> That's why you're always going to be my favorite. My firstborn and my favorite. Sorry about the cigars. You just didn't know. I actually probably should have. Should have probably bounced them out of my head. Maybe you didn't want to make me too happy. No. Maybe you thought, you know why? If I make him too happy, he'll never be able to have a better day. <laughs> I don't know what this place is problem with. Not making a whole pie they fucking sell me. Mm. All right. Monday, can we try to do this right? Sure, we can reset. Yeah, we'll try it again. Let's try it again Monday. I'm going to act like this disaster didn't take place. Oh, I right. say it's when a disaster I, now? No. <laughs> Come on! No. When I get into it, Dude, can I tell you something? It's not like I haven't fucked up before. We've all made mistakes. <laughs> oh, it's fucked now, up now. I actually tried to turn Rob Cross onto this, and I don't think they would give him any of this kind of pie. Good. The day they, <laughs> good. Good. You, know, you should only have it. He adores you. Tough luck, Rob. Mmm. Man, this this one's great. That shitty one you might like, Chris. Try it. <laughs> the apple? It's now, shit. Fez, why didn't you tell him I don't like um, apple pie? Because, well, several things happened along this um, surprise route. Is any of it interesting? Well, <laughs> I, had brought up, I, mean, I had brought up cigars. <laughs> you did? Yes. Oh, man. And also, I wasn't told about an apple pie. Mm. I was told we were getting the um, rock they, salt honey custard. Yeah, I did too. Then when Pip's gets there. Oh, yeah, we only have slices. Um, Only have the apple pie. When did it go in? Today? This morning, yes. Well, that's really nice of you guys. How come you never do anything on any, like, the good anniversaries in my life? <laughs> Why is it just this horrible thing? Well, you no. I realize that this is my one-year anniversary of turning down uh, morphine. And oh, it yeah. really oh, bothers shit. me still to this day. Oof. Mm. That was good. Uh, Kevin, you're in my Fez. Hey, buddies. Uh, hey, Ronnie, how does this uh, surprise compare to your Christmas present for Fezzy that you'll never reveal to anyone? No, I will never reveal that. Is it still in the same place where you put it, or was it like moved out, maybe like rearranged? I can honestly tell you I have no idea where that is That's right now. That's probably a good thing, right? Um, I'm going to say it's probably just hidden away in the darkness of whatever place that I try to put suppressed memories. <laughs> By the way, what are you cutting this with, a fish? I've never seen anyone struggle cutting a piece of pie so much. Very tough crust, um, and I only have these plastic utensils that I'm trying to, you know, make... Those are your uh, hands. Don't we have a knife club that could cut through this fucking table? We do. We do have a knife. But what happened? I was playing with it in the office, <laughs> and it got nicked. I mean, it's still totally usable. still a good knife. But there's, it got nicked, which I'm thinking maybe this knife might be cheaper than I once thought. So you I drop it, in, it. Are you telling me it's a naked knife? <laughs> <laughs> It's still totally usable. You can bring that thing down here, slice of that, no fucking problem. Brian, you're in my Fez. Hey, guys. Uh, Ronnie B., I got a box of Macanudos and uh, Romeo and Juliet. Which one would you prefer? 
uh, Romeo and Juliet, but Macanudos are fantastic, too. Yeah, when I was in Dominican, I picked up a few, so I'll, I'll send you a box. I'm going to put you on hold this second. For once in your life, Pips, Mark, don't fuck up. Go take yeah, care of that. Yeah, let's, let's get somebody in there. <laughs> I can help. Those might be Cubans if he got it down in Dominico. Sick. Um, now, I want to bring something up. An awful person put on their Twitter page a picture of your office that you're in charge of, Chris, being robbed of candy. What the fuck? Who's taking fucking candy from our office? Who do you think? If you had to guess right now. Liam? No. Is Liam? No. no. Keep guessing. Right. Let's see what kind of detective you are. Let's see. Liam... Um, Roland. He likes he likes the he likes the candy. No. All right. So that's bills of people on the third. All right. If someone's on our, I'm gonna guess it's someone on the thirty seventh floor. I'm gonna guess. All right. I'm gonna go out. Someone passes by our office all the time. Jennifer Hutt. I'm gonna guess Jennifer Hutt. Because she's right down the hall and she passes by all the time. Looks into the fucking office. And she can't be trusted. First of all, all the people. That you can't, that you've brought up, cannot be trusted. <laughs> At all. So, I haven't had a yay or nay yet on the Jennifer Hutt. It's 100% Jennifer Hutt. Yeah! What the fuck are you doing taking candy from our office? Not only taking That's it. That's from the Candyman at Hershey. Thank you, sir, for that box of giant box of chocolate. The Ohio Candyman. Thank you very much. Look at this picture of her. How just oh static she is oh. with the candy. I like, feel oh, sick. look. And if somebody took that picture, so I imagine that's Lily. I would think. What the fuck? Oh, fucking Muslim candy thief. Jesus Christ, what kind of unholy fucking union is that? Jews and Muslims together? See, and this isn't like Hershey's. we had this candy out in a candy dish where people are welcome to it. This no. candy was all put away in a box. No. Someone had to go rooting for it. No matter what happened, if I had a candy dish up there and somebody went in and stole it, I'd be just as mad. This is fucked. Uh, James, you're on Fez. Hey, Ron, who brings you pie and doesn't bring you coffee? That's why he got an incomplete. Yeah. They have fantastic coffee at this place, though. Oh. I was looking around for it. Oh, didn't think, no, you're such a... All right, let me God. take a look at this naked knife. <laughs> it's not that bad. It's pretty, it's pretty you know, it's, um, it's fine. It's fine. It's definitely still cuttable. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's not that bad. Oh, my God. It, you can still chop away. You know what? This is almost like a magician's knife where you act like... Because <laughs> it's got that little chip out of it. Like, oh, my hand. Uh, coming up just a little bit, it's um, Pendulette on the Unmasked. And, Fezzi, you said you turned into an atheist because of Pen. Yeah, because, you know, I had trouble believing, and then my dad passed away, and I totally jumped right back on board from when I was a Christian, when I was a believer, when I was going to church. Four, three to four times a week. All right, let's just try to take it and explain the whole thing. You were a religious person. Yes. At some person, at some point, you got mad at God, and then you stopped believing in God. And you spent about a year or two telling us that you were an atheist. Right. Uh, then your dad died, and you became an immediate believer again. Yeah, yeah, because I wanted to think that my dad was still somewhere. That my dad, well, not somewhere in heaven. I wanted to think my dad was in heaven. You told Th me that he was singing with angels. Yeah, 
And that that was that he was at peace, that he was joyful, he was with God, he was with, you know, his parents, every other relative that had died before him, and that he was sending me messages through finding money on the street, which was a habit and a hobby of his. And it was also very much in the Bible, when someone's heaven, they send coins back to earth. Mm-hmm. So, it happens. what did Penn say... That once again ripped your faith from you. Well, he had talked about loss in his own life, and you'll all hear this on the Unmasked. And the pain was so severe for him and everything, but I just realized that I didn't have to go jumping back into this Bible life because of that pain. Were and, you, were, had you jumped back into the Bible life? Did uh, you start reading the Bible again? I started reading the Bible again. I started praying again. Was it giving you comfort? No, I was. I wasn't getting any comfort. Give me one of the prayers that you had. Um, Just do it. Do, do it for me, life. And, uh, in time, Heavenly Father, you know, please yes, let son. my father be at peace. Bless my family. Um, help to see me through these trying times. Be bring peace to my family and everyone who misses my dad. Um, I know I'm going through some problems. If you could take care of my father, and my father could petition you on my sake as well. So, uh, Lord, in your mercy, hear my prayer. Amen. Um, in this time of your prayer, why fucking forget Ronnie B? Maybe, you know, maybe you just throw me something in there. Just a little bit. So that was given you, you said no, no peace. No relief, no peace at all. But I'm, I failed to find the thing where Penn changed you. What did Penn... Was there a moment of clarity for you? Was there a moment that you felt your spirituality just blowing away like a fine mist? Um, I think it was when he talked about, you know, that his loved one was gone. And all of a sudden, listening to him, I felt very silly and hanging on to finding pennies on the sidewalk and to thinking that yes my father's in some sort of choir robe singing with angels and the whole thing all of a sudden it it was almost like if i was going to have that pain i was going to have to have all this belief too and when he talked about his i realized no, you can have the pain without having to... There's a place to go with it other than keep asking God for help. A God who's not there. So it was, it was at that moment where I'm, I, I thought one had to go with the other and he made me realize that it didn't. Um... That quickly? Yeah. That was a lot faster than we thought. Um, all right, so you're now an atheist? I'm now an atheist. Uh, and not an agnostic. No. I understand. I think it was um, Pat from Monaco who tried to come up and say to Penn, I'm an agnostic, and Penn shot it down why agnostics don't really... <laughs> he, he calls agnostics pussies, basically, <laughs> in real life. I don't know the big major difference... I guess agnostics are, they'll, they'll say, yeah, there's something out there, but I don't know what. I'm not gonna, and they don't pl uh, really associate themselves with any religion. Now, Fezzi, you went and looked up um, 
some stuff. By the way, some people have written in the Twitter. Wouldn't it have been funny if Fez would have brought in a belated Sports Illustrated? That and a couple of cigars would have made this the perfect. The, the pie, uh, the cigars, the Sports Illustrated. Yeah. Perfect. Wasn't thinking. But that's creativity. Yeah. This idea that you stole from my kids. I didn't it's know it was place. from your children. I, I didn't know. Did anybody know? No. I, I didn't know. Fez knew. From the time that he tried to buy me one. Oh. And then he was told, um, that's what his kids get for him special. But well, anyway. Now I feel like a real asshole. They'll never know. Don't even worry about it. Uh, Fez went and made up a list. These are people who uh, are online as atheists that have done our show. Um, Pendulette, of course. They'll see if this... Uh, See if you, you would have known this before or after. David Cross, uh, another unmasked guest, down as an atheist online. Damn. Uh, Dave Foley, atheist. Janine Garofalo, atheist. Eddie Izzard, atheist. Pat Oswalt, atheist. Simon Pegg is an atheist. Paul Prevenza, and Lewis Black. So, Fez, you've uh, joined some uh, funny people. That's helpful. Here's some of the RBI guys that Fez has uh, lined up as atheists. They're on the uh, Ron Bennington interviews page. Uh, Billy Connolly, Brett Easton Ellis, Bob Geldof, Brian Green, Cloris Leachman, and James Lipton. Jesus Christ, one after another. That surprises me. Um, atheist. Because uh, you don't expect older people to be atheists? Exactly. Because you feel like they need it more? Uh, no, that they probably just held on to a more religious time when they were younger. But why would they be different from younger people doing the same thing? That everyone would still have to make that mo movement for themselves. Randy Newman, what doesn't surprise me at all, um, if you listen to his music. Uh, Henry Rollins is an atheist. Yeah. Jesse, the body, Ventura, atheist. And Quentin Tarantino. Now, these are not the only um, atheists, but the only ones that are lined up is that. Um Here's James. James in Michigan. You're on Run Fez. Hey, Ron. Hey, Fez. How come it only takes celebrities like Joey Pants to change your life and Penn Gillette? I mean, we, everybody calls in, gives you advice. You never listen. I mean, you don't even listen to Ron, but when it's a big-time celebrity, it's like you're only looking to them. I did not want to bring that up to Fez, uh, but when he was doing his I found the change thing, there were days of mocking phone calls yeah. from people. Uh and Fez held in deep. But something about Penn Gillette saying it made you jump. Was it based on celebrity? I don't think so. I think it was just that moment. I think there was a long time, you know, uh, months and months, obviously, after my father died, where I don't think I would have listened to anybody. Mm -hmm. I, I, don't, I wouldn't want to even hear that he just didn't exist in some form anymore. That would have been really upsetting. So you think it was timing more than the fact that, that Penn just logically talks about his belief system? See, here's where, because when, when I did the Unmasked, 
I thought I was going to get into this with Penn. I was going to bring up the fact that the spiritual feeling uh, that I get, uh, sometimes through nature, sometimes through family, and sometimes through the arts. Uh, there's a time that, particularly when there's a, a large amount of people, and there's music, and people are into it, yeah. and that thing that you just feel connected amazing feeling. to the people that you're with and all things. So I thought I'd lay this on him, and he goes, yeah, I know that too. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. He did not push it away. He's going like, yeah, I know that him. feeling. And just giving it as that thing that he doesn't know, um, I tried to hit him with creativity is where I've always been moved to a spiritual feeling. Always been moved to something like this. Just If it's not bigger than mankind, it just seems like the very purified essence of what humans can achieve. And he's like, yeah, I dig that too. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> so, as soon as I had that, I'm like, yeah, we're on the same page then. Yeah, he's not a total fucking... And atheism, like anything else, the, some atheists could be total assholes and really just fucking be, be fundamentalists, basically. And just, well, in what way? I don't, I don't understand that. Interject their atheism to everything, like... If someone says, God bless you, why would you say that? Or just like, even just minor things that uh, maybe some people don't think about. But let's suppose this. Would you ever be, be along if, if it was N-bomb? <laughs> bless you, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you can understand that there are certain words that are set-off pieces for people. Yeah. Um, let me go over here to my buddy Andy in Cleveland. Go ahead, Andy. Ruddy, Ruddy B, you didn't die, so let's have some pie. Run, your appendix almost took you out last year, but I'm glad to shout it out that you are still here. You were killed by some vestigial queer, and says I don't mean you, yeah. Nobody's better than Andy and Cleveland, that's a $5,000 singer right there. Big uh, Chris, you're on the Run of Fetish show. I think something clicked with Fez when Penn was talking was because he's so polite, unlike Bill Maher, who's just abrupt and asshole. Like, I think if someone said Merry Christmas to Penn, it wouldn't bother him. Well, I, I do want to say something about uh, Penn Gillette, uh, just about his character, before we get into the unmasked. Uh, this is an incredibly smart guy, uh, and by that I mean street smart and then also intelligent. Yeah. And in the best possible way that he's looking for information all the time. He's, he's looking for new information. The, the, the idea of ideas is exciting to him. And you can see it. Also, despite what you see in his stage character, he's an incredibly sensitive guy and very sensitive to people's feelings. I noticed that when he would disagree with me, he would go out of his way to disagree in the nicest possible way that he could, <laughs> or even when he wanted to correct me about it, would go away with it completely and do that when he talked about other people. Um, much more so than I was ready and much more so than I thought about it. So uh, when it comes down to you know, just straight character stuff, uh, incredibly a sweet, a sweet, sensitive guy. 
Uh, so the Unmasked is coming up in just a couple minutes. Are we going to break first or go right into Unmasked? We'll break and then go into the Unmasked. All right, so I want to tell the first responders, be on top of it. Uh, we'll have it up on uh, 202 Friends, but it would mean a lot to us um, in exactly getting more and more great guests to come in like this. And it will also tell you this, and it means a lot to me. Penn Gillette said... Dude, I hear so many great things. Your your people are telling me for a long time I should be doing this show. I hope it's as good as everybody says. And that meant the world to me because I know it comes from you know, people listening to this show. Um, let's go quickly to Bob in New Mexico. You're on a Fez. Hey, buddies. Uh, as, as a fellow atheist, I need to direct you towards a book called The God Delusion by Richard Dawkins, who's a professor at um, Oxford. It's the point of no return for atheism. So if you're um, curious about this, you need to, you need to read that book. Uh, by the way, Dawkins is a very, very good friend of Penn Gillette's. His book is called God No. I know you're not a big reader, Fez, but Penn has done it in uh, audio form with his own voice. So Perfect. You know how you listen to him easily. Jim, you're on Fez. Hey, Fez, uh, your prayer is so selfish. No wonder it doesn't work. It's like, God, I'm in pain, you know. Relieve me of my pain and have my father petition on my behalf to relieve me of my pain. And, uh, you know, Ron hit it when he said, you know, well, what about, you know, Ronnie? You know, if, if you were to take a position of more, my pain is getting in the I way. I bet I would have got cigars and coffee today, really. Uh. If he would have been there, how can I serve? That might have been it. Uh, Juan, very quickly, because we got to go to break real quick. Oh, yeah, Ron, I just want to say that what you're talking about is called Experiencing the Sublime, and it's discussed by Aristotle in his work on aesthetics, you know, discussing the nature of beauty and the philosophy of, you know, what makes something beautiful, and uh, I don't think there's really anything necessarily spir- uh, spiritual about it. it doesn't well, really spiritual have to be is just the word that I use, um, only because... It's uh, that connectedness that you can have with other people, and sometimes it's art and music that brings you there. Fantastic. I mean, there is sometimes that you can look at something in art and just be like, you feel something bigger than what feels like the human experience. We were talking about it the other day with the Grateful Dead, uh, when I was talking with Mickey Hart, that there are times... In shows, and it doesn't matter who the artist is, but you would rise up above, and you feel could it. feel it. Everybody in the place knew that this was it, Fucking and the then you, then it would fade out, and you're like, okay, it's gone. <laughs> uh oh, we're back up there again. And if you are an attentive audience member, you know what I mean, and see yourself as p- part of the performance, um, you can get there. Uh, one day I'll talk about even how I became interested in that. It was something that happened to me uh, many, many years ago. Uh, of that thing of almost standing outside of it. That it's so Jesus. powerful that it just feels like you're standing outside of it witnessing. Now, does that mean anything about an afterlife? or a God? I never make that kind of jumps. I'm just saying here's the experiences that you can have. It was a show or it was some, some other experience or you don't want to talk about it? Or... Well, I'll talk about it and think, but I got a minute before I got to go to break. Yeah, I mean, yeah. if you want me to rush this <laughs> no, story no, no, into no. 60 seconds <laughs> while I'm gobbling down apple pie, yeah. that's up to you. No, no. 
Hey, so I just also want to say you gave me a half a great thing here today. I it was know. really uh, it was shit. half of a one. It was a shitbox fucking gift. It wasn't. Just the part of it that wasn't thoughtful was shit. Yeah. The rest of it was, oh, the fact that it came from you. Hey, RBI this weekend. A uh, really fun one. Lead off the, read off the list real quick. That's Mickey Hart. That's gonna, this is going to be on Stars 2 at 2 p.m. And then on The Virus, 9 p.m. Mickey Hart, leading it off. Gene London, Jeff Bridges, Stephen Levy. Gene London, who was the uh, cartoon kids show host from when I was a kid. I think you're going to... Well, I was surprised, and I think you will be, uh, too. First responders, go over to 202 Friends. Uh, the Unmasked coming up. I think you're going to really enjoy uh, Penn Jillette. It's funny, and it's also very, very thoughtful, and you'll, you'll get to hear him really uh, talk about some interesting, interesting things. All right, we're going to make way for Unmasked. Now, please, first responders, get on it. It's very, very helpful for us getting better guests all the time. Right back with Unmasked Run and Fest Show. Ben Gillette is in studio with us. The book is God No. Uh, this is your attempt to bring prayer back to school. Yes, and it is. It, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> doing my best. Doing, my, doing God's work because God isn't going to. <laughs> <laughs> now, does this ever kind of get in the way of the Penn and Teller money? Does the fact that you're, you know, you're basically talking about something that a lot of people in this country uh, believe it. You know, it's it's very funny, but uh, every time I do uh, like a skeptics conference or an atheist conference, and they do, uh, I'm doing a Q and A. Someone will stand up in the audience and say, you know, I wanna, I wanna thank you for your uh, your bravery mm -hmm. in being an outspoken, out of the closet atheist. And I used to say, you know, well, thank you. I do what mm -hmm. I can and kind of try to be humble about it. And then I realized that uh, that wasn't the truth. The truth is, I've always made more money. After I say I'm an atheist, uh, I have not been punished for it. I've been rewarded for it. So bravery is the uh, wrong word. I think that the one thing I learned um, doing um, the BS show uh, on Showtime for eight years is that uh, Christians and religious people, not the ones that you uh, that get the news. But the ones that just live their lives and believe are much better people than um, the non-believers give them credit for. Uh, I would uh, say really intense things uh, about Christians on our show. And then would get... Uh, hundreds of letters from Christians saying um, it's really nice that we have this marketplace of ideas. It's nice that you state this with passion and with logic. I don't agree with you, but I love watching your show. Uh, and you get that constantly. And there's something you <clears throat> this dangerous thing you fall into where I'll sit around with um, Richard Dawkins mm -hmm. or with Trey Parker or Matt Stone mm -hmm. of South Park and you kind of bring out your death threats. You know, it's kind of like... I get this letter from a guy who said he was going <laughs> to boil my whole family in peanut oil. And Dawkins goes, well, I've got this one. And you kind of swagger, and you kind of, uh, it's kind of a way of showing off. And then I, all of a sudden, it felt wrong to me, because you're talking about the people that write those letters are 
they're mentally ill mm. and their religion has nothing to do with it they could just as easily be atheists just easily be anything because it's not a religious position it is it is a mental health problem right. it, it is actually a physical problem with their brain so i i just and then when you say stuff like that you're implying somehow that the other people who believe that are like that and that felt wrong to me so now when those ideas come up i usually go but man don't you get a lot of letters from people who are like really nice but disagree with you so i i think that uh i don't think it hurts me at all and i think that i mean i listen to gospel music i listen to bach saint matthew's passion and i think there are a lot of people that come to see the Penn and Teller show that know that we're atheists and also want to see a really good magic show and also know that uh, atheism isn't mentioned much in our uh, in our Vegas magic show. Well, you know, and also you being a music fan, uh, I think you know what it feels like. You say like gospel, you know what it feels like to be moved spiritually sure, as part sure. of a big crowd. Yeah, uh, some people you know choose to call that one name or another. Sure, but anyone who's ever really been uh, and anyone I think that's uh, involved in creativity of any kind knows that came to me really really quick how did i write that song that fast how oh did sure I come up with that line sure. the, the there's this uh really uh hideous misconception that if you're an atheist you think you have answers right and uh it's really quite the opposite uh, when uh being an atheist is simply saying i don't know yeah you know, how, how do we all get here i don't know how does bob dylan write stuff that brilliant Right. I, I don't know. And uh, the, the, the answer that other people give, God, is actually taking away the mystery. They're right. saying they do know. It's the atheists who go, I don't know. Can we ever get there? I don't know. Yeah. Will we ever know how the earth started? I don't know. We have some good guesses. We have some stuff that makes sense, but but I don't know. And there's that humility, and also there's this sense that uh, atheism isn't somehow uh, bitter or something. Whereas actually, the simple statement of my life is that everything in the world is enough for me. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, I agree. That's, I agree. that's all I'm saying. Yeah. That's enough. Everything in the world. Plenty for me. Yeah, and it it is there. There should be a sense of all with what we have already. Well, of course, and and, uh, and you shouldn't take that sense of awe away. I mean, when you think about the uh, the myths of the Bible, right? The creation myth of the Bible: let there be light, uh, Adam and Eve. When you think about Noah and the Ark, these are all things that a five year old could make up. You know, they really are. They're easy to understand. Black holes? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> right. string theory? Right. I mean, uh, there's, uh, there's, this, uh, there's this sense that re the religious people will give you that, uh, well, atheists don't have the imagination to imagine a god. Well, yes, I do. What could be simpler than that? It's, it's dad, and dad says this is going to happen, and it does because he's magic like Superman. <laughs> I can understand that easily. What I what I can't understand is one tiny bit of an event horizon that light can't escape from. What? Yeah. Light can't get away from this event horizon. Everything gets sucked into it, and then maybe it comes out somewhere else, and maybe that's a different dimension. <laughs> Give me Noah. Well, 
<laughs> I wonder though if the early people that were putting together you know religious beliefs thought very much like you but then felt like all right now we've got to bring something back to keep you know, order there's you know? a uh, there's a fabulous book out uh, and you would think I would say my book but no I'm not going to uh, God no by the way God no uh, there's a book out called why we believe in God uh, and then there's a parentheses s at the end that's why we believe in God's um, and it's a very short book, very very easy to uh, very easy very easy and pleasant read by Thompson. I think his name is uh, Andrew Thompson, and um, uh, he he makes this wonderful evolutionary argument of how uh, the belief in God, the religious feelings that we feel, are just something that um, are kind of unintended consequences of uh, of evolution just like our love of music mm -hmm. is almost certainly uh language evolves communication evolves and then there's this other part of stuff that ends up giving us music it's very powerful things so i think we're going to find out uh as uh as some of the heavy duty clinical shrinks get on it we're going to find out a little more about what it means to believe in god and why and how incredibly natural that is right. and the feeling of awe and wonder crossing over into that feeling of reaching up to your mom and dad seems perfectly natural and really wonderful and I think that the job that an atheist has is to um, negate the, the hateful superstition and accept all the awe and right. the wonder and the and and the glory and the love, you know, and right. that feeling we have that uh, all humanity is one and we should all work together uh, is really good, right? And we don't want to, uh, you know, that's what we're holding on to, and the stuff of you know, God told me to kill my whole family or fly airplanes into buildings is the stuff we want to leave behind. Well, the interesting thing I think in Christianity is the Westboro Baptist Church people are really following the Bible more well, you know, than most people. So you find out that there's where the true believers, if you were to really believe. Well, you know, there. I don't think, and uh, it's so hard to phrase this in a way that's not offensive, and I mean nothing offensive by this, but um, it's very hard to make a case that the people who uh, flew the airplanes uh, into the uh, World Trade Center that they weren't sincere believers. Sure. Their faith was was not real. Uh, and uh, I think that that's the really scary thing. And what bothers me is it's easier for me to understand that than it is for me to understand the people that are in the middle. Right. Westboro Baptist Church is very easy for me to understand. The Bible, uh, on even a simple reading, is very anti-gay. I mean, there's just no way you can interpret it a different way. It is anti-gay. And if Bible is the Word of God, and if you do believe that, it seems you have to go all the way. 
I can understand that completely. What I can understand is an absolute word of God that cannot be questioned and you must follow completely, but I'll still take birth control pills. You know, right, right. I'll still do this. Because if I, if I believed in God, if I believed in God and I believed that it was everlasting life that was on the line uh, on any time I sinned, I'm telling you, the entire... Uh, Artists, models, and staff of kink.com could not get me to have sex with anyone before marriage. Right. Even all of them working together with all their props, they couldn't do that. All of the Eastern European women who've come across over to here to earn their living on our interweb, none of them, all of them working together could not so much as get a rise out of little Houdini. If I thought, if I thought that everlasting life was on the line. It's amazing to me that that anyone could ever sin if they really, really believe it. And this argument that's made uh, uh, that uh, that that's in why we believe in God that's so powerful is there is the cliche there are no atheists in foxholes, mm. um, and there is a wonderful group of military atheists called the atheists in foxholes. Uh, uh, and you know, we can show you, and I can show you uh, very serious medals for valor from people who have the word atheist on their dog tags. Uh, we have men and women in service who are who are atheists and are out of the closet atheists, and still do uh, uh, acts of bravery beyond my you know, imagination. But the argument that I've seen made recently, which I really love, is that there's nothing but atheists in foxholes. Because if you really believed that God was watching every sparrow fall, counting every grain of sand, was watching over you completely, no matter what you did, why wouldn't you run into battle going, God's on my side! Here I am! Try to shoot me! You won't have a chance! I'll be like Pulp Fiction! Bullets will go right around me! My ass is John Travolta! Go ahead, try! Nah, 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 nah. Why wouldn't you do that? Right. If, you know, if you're going I could get hit by that. That's an atheist. Right. Yeah, look at yeah, watch my ass. I'm gonna get blown to you know. And I was I had a guy arguing with me the other day uh, in a, in, a, in, a, in a, what I thought was very very unpleasant, talking about um, my mom dying, mm -hmm. and uh, I, I, I am and was a uh, tremendous mama's boy. No, no one is close was closer to their parents than, than I am. People may be as close, but no one is closer, and no one loved. Uh, no one's ever loved his mom and dad more than I love my mom and dad and sister. And he was talking about my mom on, on her deathbed, which I I thought was an inappropriate thing uh, to do in a, in, a, in a hostile way. But saying, you know, you're there and you're never going to see her again. You will never see her again. She's gone forever. How do you stand that? How do you? I mean, basically pushing every button you could possibly push on a person. And I said to him, well, you do believe in God. And I won't use an example of someone you really love dying because that seems to me un unpleasant. But hypothetically, when someone dies, do you dance around going, woohoo! They're in a better place! Let's go! That's great! I mean, the very sadness at death, the very fear of death, is a questioning of faith, I think. Uh, and yet, at the same time, you can you can understand why anybody wants to think they're going to see their puppy or their grandmother again, just to live with with whatever they need to do. That, that certain people, where they're not trying to push it or not, well, I'll do the John Lennon, whatever gets you through the night. You can yeah. certainly get that. You know, I guess I can. Although, uh, 
that always seems a little bit condescending mm. there seems to be um, uh, there's this attitude I'm not I'm, I'm, I'm mm. kind of going tangentially I'm certainly not accusing you of this because I, I didn't feel that in your tone at all but sometimes this kind of question has this well you and I are strong enough right. to deal with this without the Santa Claus without mm. this thing but what about these other people and whenever Whenever someone uses the argument, what about these other people, it breaks my heart because these other people are us. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't want to sell them short. I'm not... I'm not wily e. coyote super genius, you know. I I don't have I don't have magic powers. If I can handle something, so can someone else. And and this is something that I never heard someone say. You know, there's there's this threat that comes that um, some religious people would say to me like, you know back before my mom and dad died uh, they would say to me in the 90s you know uh, oh yeah well you're really you feel good about your atheism now but you wait till your mom dies <laughs> thanks uh, uh, and so there's this challenge that's being laid down and of course you don't think about that challenge while it's happening because you're going through the worst experience of your life but afterwards uh, I realized uh, I don't know what comfort there would have been in believing in God. The comfort that I had uh, was from my friends and my family and people who loved me. I don't know what comfort I would have gotten by believing that there was an omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent God who chose for my mom to be paralyzed and die in tremendous pain. That there would be something out there that I could maybe pray to that would have made her suffering less, but had chosen to not make her suffering less, is enough to make me crazy. That that breaks my heart. That's a kind of horror that I can't imagine. You mean to tell me that there is something in the universe that had the power to stop my mom's suffering, and I was unable to implore that power to actually stop her suffering? Is that what you're telling me? Whereas in my worldview, you know, uh, uh, my mom and I had had 45 years that uh, that our lives overlapped and I loved her every moment and called her every day and then through horrible random chance and also because of things that are inevitable she died and she happened to die in a way that was very very painful but not because of my lack of praying and not because people didn't love her enough and not because some omnipotent being chose her to suffer but rather just because that's random chance and maybe somebody in the future will suffer less because medicine and people will do a will do a good job to help her so I don't uh, two things. I don't think there are people that are inferior and therefore have to believe in stuff because they're weak. I don't believe that. And two, I don't think there's much comfort in it. Mm. You know, I think a lot of it comes down to afraid of not existing. And yet, no one's kind of afraid of the the eternity before your birth. Exactly. I, you know, that's the crazy thing about you, you, you did not miss your mom during Caesar's time. You know, like, it was awful. We weren't there. Yeah, I, well, that was the argument I just I just made in this uh, interview I did with uh, Pierce Morgan, mm. who said, you know, uh, aren't you, uh, are, you can't face the fact that after death, 
you're not going to be here. How can you face that? And I said, 1890. <laughs> That's my whole argument, 1890. Right. He said, what do you mean, 1890? I said, how terrified are you of 1890? Was <laughs> 1890 just the worst terror you can't imagine? Because <clears throat> 2090 is going to be a lot like that. Right. We won't be here. We weren't there in 1890. We won't be there in 2090. So what? Well, I want to tie this in with your act a little bit because I think that there's somewhat of a history of magicians uh, going after either uh, or being skeptical about religion, healers, psychics. Mm -hmm. And I think it has to do with this carny thing from the beginning of seeing the gullibility of people being pulled into the early carnivals and saying, yeah, but these other guys are taking it even further. Yeah, I love what, in, in carny slang, I love what ministers are called. They're called sky grifters. <laughs> <laughs> and there would be a lot of religious tents in carnivals over the years. You know, oh, would, always, always. You know, there would be that same thing with healing and stuff, mm -hmm. so they would tour with the carnival yeah, sure. oh, so why give away their griff why would you yeah why would you want to you know now yeah i think i think that uh, i think because truth matters yeah you know and i think that uh, you know the, the one year you're, you're talking about is of course um houdini mm -hmm. who uh is really interesting when we look back on the 20th century in a few hundred years and we look back in entertainment you know uh i think i think it's down to two people who would be the entertainers of the 20th century. I think it's down to Elvis and Houdini, uh, one of the two. Mm. I've gone through who else could possibly make it, who the dark horse candidates are. You know, could it be Bob Dylan, Al Jolson, you know, uh, Marilyn Monroe? But Houdini is in the dictionary. To pull a Houdini means <laughs> right. to disappear, to vanish. Right. That's in the dictionary. Elvis isn't in the dictionary to mean take a lot of Percocet instead of the toilet. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but it comes down to those two. But what's interesting about um, Houdini, and I think, uh, uh, I can't think of many other examples, is Houdini is someone who changed their entire career, not reinventing themselves like Madonna. Right. It was slightly different stuff, but an entire different um, philosophical idea halfway through their career. Houdini was very well known as uh, an escape artist. Mm. And he did this stuff that culturally is so important. I mean, imagine a, an immigrant from Budapest, you know, born a Jew, son of a rabbi, from Budapest, uh, at the turn of the last century, saying for his publicity material, I defy the jails of the world to hold me. <laughs> wow! Yeah. I mean, that is much heavier than hope I die before I get old. Right. <laughs> you know, that, that's way beyond you ain't nothing but a hound dog. I defy the jails of the world to hold me. I mean, the most American free thought. Mm, you know, and posed naked, you know, with handcuffs in front of his dick. I mean, he, was, he was just, you know, he was just everything. And uh, and Houdini, after his mother died, which is, a, you know, an important point in, in many Mamba's boys' lives, um, when his mom died and all these people uh, did all this hype on him and all this jive and I can talk to your mother, we can do automatic writing and, you know, uh, Arthur Conan Doyle, yeah. uh, his wife was a big believer and she did automatic writing, which means you would go into a trance and just write something. And she got a letter to Houdini from his mother 
uh, <laughs> where she, first of all, had a cross at the top, uh, which is odd since she was the wife of a rabbi, and religious her whole life. And then she also wrote in English, which is odd because she never spoke English, uh, and uh, she was from Budapest. And then she starts the letter with uh, Dear Harry, which was not his name, and she never called him Harry, she called him Eric. Uh, because it was his name. Um, that, that, uh, that Mrs. Weiss was no dummy. Um, and uh, he was so appalled. You know, when you, are, uh, when you are busting people for lying during grief, taking the grief of people and exploiting it and lying, uh, reaction to the uh, to the Panadella show is afterwards after the show you have a piece of pie and you go you know that joke thing they did when they were in the audience uh, and they knew what pe jokes people were thinking of that was really funny how, how, wait a minute how do they do that right <laughs> and then you run it through in your head and then it's more amazing I love that feeling I love people being entertained as they go through the show and then afterwards realizing you know that was all funny and fast but that's some impossible shit they were doing <laughs> so the cow to vanish a cow with 20 audience members on stage holding hands and with a platform you can see under and to just drop a cloth boom pull it away and have the cow gone and just the elephant costume left behind <laughs> <laughs> it's just not like you can go to a book and say oh yeah blackstone 1943 he did that cow dressed an elephant that he vanished in Madison square garden uh, there's there's no way you can find any of that so you just have to you know we spend you would not believe the amount of hours that we spend watching stuff not work. You know, just right. with, with no hope at all. And I also say that the big secret of magic, and I will tell you the absolute secret of magic uh, at, at, a, at the most honest level. The secret of magic is you would not be willing to work as hard as we are. And, and, and that's the whole secret. If I show you a card trick, you do this mathematics in your head, this automatic thinking. You go, that's a really good trick. I would be willing to spend four hours to learn that trick. You automatically do that. You do the mathematics. What would I be willing to spend to do this? You know, and you go, there's nothing I could learn to do in four hours that would make that. That's amazing. And the fact of the matter is, what you think is worth four hours, I think is worth 1,500 hours. Yeah. And that's the only difference between us, is that I think the trick is better than you do. <laughs> that's all it comes down to. That's all it comes down to. You watch our show and go, man, that bullet catch, that's a great trick. I'd, I'd do anything to be able to do that. I'd work three months on that. Yeah, well, we worked two and a half years. But that's the funny thing about you guys is because you seem to be anti-show business, but you're probably more show business than 99% of the people working today in terms of the old way of let's get this perfect yeah, before you know, it gets the, out there. The, the nice thing uh, about live performance is that you get to get good at something? Mm. And Andy Warhol, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna quote him exactly right, but uh, says something to the effect of, "If they're gonna do pretty much the same sitcom every week, why don't they do the exact same sitcom every week <laughs> so they can get good at it?" Um, I love doing stuff 
one-off, doing something for the first time, the excitement of that. I love doing a TV spot. It's wonderful to do movies, to do the lines and stuff. But there is something about doing things, uh, especially in the in the 60s uh, with entertainment. There came this thing of uh, a new album every year, new mm-hmm. songs every year. And uh, because of the technology, because of the vinyl, because it wasn't just people traveling around doing shows live, but because you had to have new product every year, we began to respect. It didn't matter if the Stones did essentially the same album four times in a row, as long as there were different songs on it. It was okay. It didn't have to be different (laughs) ideas. And uh, there's a joy, just a joy, in doing something four or five thousand times it's it's uh, uh michael goudot is one of the writers on bullshit and dear friend of mine michael goudot said uh variety arts you know juggling and magic and so on the variety arts are a, an art form for people who see groundhog day and think that's a good thing <laughs> i'd love to be able to get it right and the first time like when we go out and do a bit the first time and there's got to be, a, like, Teller's in the water tank and he's going to drown. You know, A bit that we did first on TV and then did for 10 years after. It's why it's a good example. Uh, first time we did that on television, you know, Madonna introduces us, Saturday Night Live, do the water tank. And I have to make sure that I see that Teller's about to drown and that he looks over at me and sees that I see and I look away before he can signal me. That's, that's the comedy moment. And you can write that comedy moment on a piece of paper and you can lay it out and you can direct it you can say to the cameraman here's where it's going to go and when it comes time for that moment i need to make sure that the tv camera and the live audience sees me look at teller so that first time out i move both shoulders and i move my head and i look at teller there's no doubt about it and the joke plays and you get the laugh and it goes and then you start doing it on stage and you do it the first 50 times where you get, get to know when you're hooking up the hose and when you're doing the palm and when you're doing all this. You're just trying to get through it. And then after 50 times, you can do all the moves. They're all learned. And you get to that part where you're supposed to turn your head. And you just start doing this thing. You know, it's never articulated this way, but you start naturally going, well, I don't have to move my whole shoulders. I can just kind of do this, you know. Just kind of move your head a little. I think that uh, a small part of me was looking for, wouldn't it be cool if some of this were true? But after a while, as a human being, you learn. And, you know, the 500th time, (laughs) you may not really in your heart be sincerely looking. Now, because I'm a skeptic and a hardcore skeptic and an outspoken skeptic, and because I talked to James Randi. Uh, once a week on the phone, you know, and have emails from him all the time. And because I'm in touch with Dawkins all the time, I feel fairly certain that if something supernatural does happen, I find out sooner than the believers, you know? I believe that Richard Dawkins drops a dime and goes, God's out there! I just met him! Really, go out on your porch! Now! Get out! No, I don't care if you're proud of it. Right? No, no! Shut up! Go out on your porch now! God's in the sky! Get out there! I believe that call gets made right away. And I, you know, people come to me after the show, and they say, um... I know you're skeptical about this, uh, about uh, mind reading, but my, uh, my, my wife, 
She can certainly read minds. It's certainly not hype. I absolutely believe it. And I just say, well, first of all, there's a million dollars that the James Randi Educational Foundation will give you. And some of that is my money. And it's in escrow. And you just go and do anything supernatural under test conditions, you get the million dollars. But don't worry about the million dollars, because you're pretty much guaranteed a Nobel Prize on top of that. <laughs> you know, for changing all of physics. So I think the stakes are so high that if one person can do any of this stuff, uh, we're going to find out about it real quickly. And it's actually going to come out of science first. Absolutely. And then it'll stop being supernatural and be natural. We will have just, <laughs> here's the way it all works. So there's no... Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. And that's the great thing about, um, uh, a, you know, a great thing about science. Yeah. Is science is so willing. There's this wonderful quote that I love when... Um, um, I may not tell the story perfectly, but uh, when Einstein did uh, E equals MC squared and the special relativity, and that hit the popular media in a kind of a cool way, and uh, you know it's it's shocking, it's still shocking, and parts of his stuff on uh, gravity were just were just demonstrated this past year, uh, you know, and. Uh, Einstein was walking into a place, and a reporter said to him, <laughs> "said to him, it's, it's the greatest comeback ever." Said, "There's a book coming out. A hundred scientists prove Einstein wrong." And Einstein's answer was, "One." And they said, "What?" He said, "One." One scientist proves me wrong. You don't need a hundred. <laughs> you know, not one. You know, yeah. it's not something you know. You don't vote on the sex of a cat. There's some, there's some things you can't vote on. You just, you know, you just you find out about it. Well, you kind of bring up in I your book. I don't think about the sex of cats very much. Yeah. I don't want to get me wrong. You bring up in your book though about some of the scientists who come out against the rest of the scientists and a lot of them are working in community colleges all around um, yeah well that, that is that is the funny part is uh, every year uh, maybe they've stopped it now but Time Magazine would put you know uh, uh, 10, 10, uh, 10 scientists you know discuss their relationship with God and the funny thing is you know n no Nobel Prize winners there you know yeah there's just and of course there's there's big exceptions to this there are wonderful wonderful scientists working and geniuses who are religious you know you yeah. have that weird the number goes all over the place but probably around seven percent of uh, scientists and you can't just because I want all scientists to be atheists doesn't make that true right. <laughs> but you know for the most part I mean, there was this thing going around on on, uh, on Twitter. When I say going around on Twitter, <laughs> I helped it go around. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think the person that first posted it had, you know, 10 followers and I have more. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, it said, if all the atheists were to, to leave the United States right now, we would lose 93% of the Academy of Science and fewer than 1% of the prison population. Um, and I felt a little guilty. For I believe that's true. I believe that 7% uh, of the National Academy of Science are religious, and I do believe that fewer than 1% of the prison population are atheists. But that's a lie. It's a very clear lie because uh, people who are in prison are rewarded for saying they believe 
sure. if you want to get out on a parole, uh, any of that stuff. Uh, so we have to think that it's possible that there are some atheists in prison who are willing to lie to get out of prison. That doesn't seem like an extraordinary point. Well, I, I can't I, speak. I think put me in prison, yeah. I think I might tell a few little white lies. Yeah. Well, I, I can't speak for prison, but I can remember being in Catholic school. And uh, you will say whatever they need. That was it. That was, whatever it takes, just let's stop this and let's get outside again. Uh, <laughs> but I think that that are that becomes the first skeptics. I think are Catholic boys. Yeah. You know what I mean? The girls last a little longer with it, but the boys really get into that. Really, after all, you know, fifth or sixth grade, and I think there becomes a power in that whether you like it or not is the first time that you reach whether they're telling you teaching you patriotism or anything else that first power that you take for yourself is going yeah. I don't know and also running the test yeah. I mean there are, I have friends who were raised in Catholic school mm. that tested it you know right. I hate this nun a lot and if that's wrong, God strike me dead. Yeah. And ran the experiment. You know, the George Carlin experiment that he ran on Politically Incorrect that just said, if there's a God, kill me now. Right. Really and of course, well, God did kill him. But it would have been more powerful if he'd done it right there on Politically Incorrect. And of course, um, masturbation also shakes a lot of Catholic boys out. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, but that's often done by the hand of God, or at least <laughs> God's hand on earth. Right. <laughs> but that we don't talk about. It's like being in the mafia. It takes years before they crack. Yeah, you know what? It happened to me, too. <laughs> and now that we're 50, why are we bringing it up now? Um you actually do something that reminds me of this the show that you've got on going on in England with the Fool Us I think is a, a brilliant show because you're putting yourself in that skeptical role and ready to be fooled by these guys. I think it's a really fun show. Well, thank you. Thanks a lot. Uh, who came up with that concept? Uh, tell, tell her and I. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, there's kind of a rule in, uh, in show businesses if you're in the room when the idea comes up you're part of the idea. <laughs> and I don't think that's wrong at all. Right. It's amazing how much an idea will change from who you tell. Right. And, you know, one of the things that psychics do is cold reading. And as you're speaking, you look in someone's face. And um, you can tell a lot, you know, about how something's mm -hmm. going. So if, if I've given an idea that's completely 100% my idea, and I bring it to Teller and start telling him about it, it changes because I'm in the room with Teller. But in terms of uh, Fool Us, it really was both of us working together. Teller had this idea for a show called Baffled. Mm. And his idea was you were going to give teams of magicians an assignment. You know, you have to, you have to vanish uh, a penny with this cube in, a, in 10 oh. seconds to music. And then you'd see the teams go off and figure it out. And that is very easy to see that as an antecedent to fool us. And I didn't like the title. And I didn't like it just being one trick. And we monkeyed, we monkeyed around with it. And then uh, we actually, the big breakthrough was, um, was actually the producers, the production company over in England that decided to have a host. You know, the way we originally thought it was we would kind of bring the people out 
and then we would kind of see their trick and we would kind of interview them while watching and uh, it was ITV that said let's let's bring a host in there to be on their side and stand there and really give them a proper before right. that, you know you run and watch and that was a, that's a really important part of the show and the hardest part to sell on that show um, and the part of the show that I'm most proud of was they kept trying to um, codify it. They kept trying to say um, uh, they will write down how the trick is done and then we will have an independent judge look at that and then you will say how it's done and we'll compare that to the paper that is and see if you guys were right. And I said, no, 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 this is this is not professional wrestling. This is not a challenge. This is skate punks in the backyard. Have you seen this trick before? No. Have you seen this trick before? Yes. And we're not going to lie and they're not going to lie. So they finish the trick and we go, you know, we do know. And it's funny that, you know, human beings, when left on their own and polite to one another, will really often tell the truth. Right. <laughs> so it ends up, what I'm most proud of is that it ends up being um, so friendly, so non-combative, and so just screwing around, you know? Right. And what we wanted out of that show was, we do our show at the Rio, you know, magicians from all over the world. Uh, come to see our show and then magicians are often asked backstage we have our green room or as we call it the monkey room backstage and uh, we'll have a couple friends from other walks of life and then maybe a magician from Belgium who's over you know mm -hmm. and at some point the magician will say uh, usually to tell her in the brains of the outfit you know have you, have you seen this thing with a color changing deck and tell her we'll say ah, I don't know I don't know and then the person will pull out it and do a card trick backstage for the two of us, plus a couple crew guys that'll be hanging around, the piano player, and then a couple of people from other walks of life that we happen to know, you know, Doug's neighbor, yeah. <laughs> uh, who's backstage, and they do the trick, and then they just say at the end, you know, you've seen that before, and uh, we don't jump up and down and go, ha ha, saw that move you did in your left hand, but you just kind of go, uh... Yeah, yeah, we saw, we saw a version of that a while ago. You know, there's a guy in Italy doing that. It's cool. Yeah. Or we say, we have no idea what you did. <laughs> and there's that wonderful moment. And that's all we wanted to do was let people look in on that. Right. And many people say, well, we wish you just explained every trick you did. We go, nah, that's not the right vibe. And there's other magicians that go, you shouldn't give away anything. And I go, well, maybe we should sometimes. You know? right. I just want to feel like... Even though it's five million people watching instead of four, I want to feel like we're just backstage monkeying around. And I, the most important thing is that uh, they be respected. You know, the right. magicians be respected and have fun coming on. And magicians love to do this. I mean, the Edison right around the corner here oh, is yeah, kind of, course, of famous course, yeah, for that. Yeah, yeah. And it's kind of the same thing that uh, Prevenz has done with the green room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just saying this is the shit that exactly. happens anyway. Exactly. Now watch it. You know, it's uh, it's 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 that kind of honesty and and getting that behind the scenes because it's you know uh, comedians are really funny backstage, right? And magicians have real good tricks they do for each other. But the stuff I think about magic that's so amazing is the length of time to, to get really good. Like you can get good enough. Uh, to work a kids party pretty fast mm -hmm. but to be able to go out and do it 
for a living, there's only a few guys that are playing well, the really big rooms. It's really hard. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, we have, uh, you talk to a comic, hmm. and they'll have been working on a new hunk. You know, right. new, a new two-minute, three-minute thing. Uh, they'll work on that a few months, and uh, and uh, then they put it in. Or they put it in, put, put it out. Month, month with some more, put it back in. We work on things, you know, three or four years, and constantly. I mean, the uh, the bullet catch, you know, the close of our show uh, was not even our idea. Uh, the bullet, some of the ideas we do actually start with us, but uh, the bullet catch, the idea of some firing a bullet, a signed bullet, and having it caught, is a uh, was originally done by Native American. Magicians uh, in the um, in the seventeenth seventeenth century, which I guess maybe it was a bad idea to advertise. We can catch bullets. It worked bad for them. It worked out very badly for them. They would catch it. They would catch it in their hand with a front loading um, with a muzzle loading gun. It's it's an entirely different trick, of course. But the idea that I can catch a bullet is uh, was in place. And then a magician um, uh, who works under the name of Banachek, genius, um, had some of the technology of this and brought it to us. After the idea for the trick existed, and after we had part of the technology given to us as a gift, we then worked two and a half years, pretty much every day, to get that trick down. First of all, it has to be completely safe. And you'll hear some magicians talk about how, well, I could get hurt, I could get injured, I could die. You know, that Chris Angel, I'm a, I do card tricks, I'm going to hang with my tits in a helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, 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 but I don't, I don't like any of that jive. No. If you're coming to our show in order to have us, in order to watch us get hurt, Fuck you. <laughs> Don't come. Right. If you're coming to see us get hurt, this has to be a celebration of life and a celebration of health. If it's not going to be that, you don't want that, please don't come. So we want to make it completely safe. Then you're going to make it sort of fools people. And Teller points out that in magic, it's as though you wanted to write a piece of music, but you have to invent the instrument first and then build the instrument. You know, it's always all, engineering. All, all this stuff is it's always engineering. You can't possibly know things. There's no, there's no secret knowledge. You know, mm -hmm. uh, Jim Steinmeier, one of the greatest uh, writers about magic, said um, uh, uh, magicians spend their time guarding an empty safe. Mm. You know, we like people to think that we know things about how to do tricks, and that's just a complete lie. We don't know anything that other people don't know. We just have an idea of how to make them feel that way once in a while, you know. So it takes a real... We have this trick that we want to do. I guess I can talk about... I guess I can talk about it. We've been working on this trick for, I guess it's over three years now, and hundreds of thousands of dollars. And all we want to do... Is this asking too much? All we want to do... <laughs> is dress a cow up as an elephant, <laughs> claim it's an African pygmy elephant that's rare, put a fake trunk on it, and then vanish it surrounded by audience members on stage all holding hands. We just want to vanish a cow dressed as an elephant. <laughs> We've been working on this. Turns out cows are really hard to handle. Really hard to handle. You're better off with a tiger. Except for that biting your fucking head off. Um, really hard to handle cows. Really hard to handle cows. Uh, the dressing up as an elephant part 
ends, ends up pretty easy. <laughs> you just put a vacuum cleaner and a hose on its face, big ears, good, fine, done. Um, we're not trying to really pass it off as an elephant. But the idea was uh, we wanted to do some big, amazing animal thing. We wanted to do some big trick with a living thing, which is really hard. And everything we could think of, you know, uh, elephant, big cats, anything like that, uh, just struck us as cheesy and not our style. But still, it's really hard. You know, you, you know you can't shrink up an elephant. You know you can't do that. So we thought, what could be more humble than vanishing a cow? And then if you vanish a cow, people know it's impossible. They know it's really hard, but it's also stupid. And you know... <laughs> Impossible, it's stupid. Right. That's where Penn and Teller live. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so, uh, so we got the idea of dr dressing the cow up as an elephant, and then we're trying to make the vanish. See, the idea of most of our stuff is uh, we don't like to say you're about to see the most amazing thing you're ever going to see because one, it's immodest; two, it's cheesy; and three, it's never true. You know, right. but we like to try to slide something through as kind of silly and have people. You know, I mean, my ideal reaction to the uh, to the Pat and Teller show is afterwards, after the show, you have a piece of pie and you go, you know, that joke thing they did where they were in the audience uh, and they knew what pe jokes people were thinking of. That was really funny. <laughs> Wait a minute, how do they do that? Right. <laughs> and then you run it through in your head, and then it's more amazing. I love that feeling. I love people being entertained as they go through the show, and then afterwards realizing, you know, that was all funny and fast, but that's some impossible shit they were doing. <laughs> so the cow, to vanish a cow with 20 audience members on stage holding hands and with a platform you can see under and to just drop a cloth, boom, pull it away, and have the cow gone, and just the elephant costume left behind. <laughs> <laughs> it's just not like you can go to a book and say, oh yeah, Blackstone, 1943, he did that cow dressed an elephant that he vanished in Madison Square Garden. Uh, there's, there's no way you can find any of that. So you just have to, you know, we spend... You would not believe the amount of hours that we spend watching stuff not work. You know, just right. with, with no hope at all. And I also say that the big secret of magic, and I will tell you the absolute secret of magic uh, at, at, a, at the most honest level. The secret of magic is you would not be willing to work as hard as we are. And, and, and that's the whole secret. If I show you a card trick you do this mathematics in your head, this automatic thinking. You go, that's a really good trick. I would be willing to spend four hours to learn that trick. <laughs> you automatically do that. You do the mathematics. Right. What would I be willing to spend to do this? You know, and you go, there's nothing I could learn to do in four hours that would make that. That's amazing. And the fact of the matter is, what you think is worth four hours, I think is worth 1,500 hours. Yeah. And that's the only difference between us, is that I think the trick is better than you do. Yeah. <laughs> that's all it comes down to. That's all it comes down to. You watch our show and go, man, that bullet catch 
That's a great trick. I'd, I'd do anything to be able to do that. I'd work three months on that. <laughs> yeah, well, we worked two and a half years. But that's the funny thing about you guys is because you seem to be anti-show business, but you're probably more show business than 99% of the people working today in terms of the old way of let's get this perfect yeah, before you know, it gets the, out there. The, the nice thing uh, about live performance is that you get to get good at something? Mm. And Andy Warhol, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna quote him exactly right, but uh, says something to the effect of, "If they're gonna do pretty much the same sitcom every week, why don't they do the exact same sitcom every week <laughs> so they can get good at it?" Um, I love doing stuff one off, doing something for the first time. The excitement of that. I love doing a TV spot. It's wonderful to do movies, to do the lines and stuff. But there is something about doing things, uh, especially in the in the '60s, uh, with entertainment. There came this thing of uh, a new album every year, new mm -hmm. songs every year, and uh, because of the technology, because of the vinyl, because it wasn't just people traveling around doing shows live, but because you had to have new product every year, we began to respect, it didn't matter if the Stones did essentially the same album four times in a row, as long as there were different songs on it, it was sure. okay, it didn't have to be different <laughs> ideas, and uh, there's a joy just a joy in doing something four or five thousand times it's it's uh, uh, Michael Goudeau is one of the writers on bullshit and dear friend of mine Michael Goudeau said uh, variety arts you know juggling and magic and so on the variety arts are a, an art form for people who see Groundhog Day and think that's a good thing <laughs> I'd love to be able to get it right and the first time like when we go out and do a bit the first time and there's got to be, a, like, Teller's in the water tank, and he's going to drown. You know, A bit that we did first on TV and then did for 10 years after. That's why it's a good example. Uh, first time we did that on television, you know, Madonna introduces us, Saturday Night Live, do the water tank. And I have to make sure that I see that Teller's about to drown and that he looks over at me and sees that I see, and I look away before he can signal me. That's, that's the comedy moment. And you can write that comedy moment on a piece of paper, and you can lay it out, and you can direct it. You can say to the cameraman, here's where it's going to go. And when it comes time for that moment, I need to make sure that the TV camera and the live audience sees me look at Teller. So that first time out, I move both shoulders, and I move my head, and I look at Teller. There's no doubt about it. And the joke plays, and you get the laugh, and it goes. And then you start doing it on stage. And you do it the first 50 times, where you get, get to know when you're hooking up the hose, and when you're doing the palm, and when you're doing all this, you're just trying to get through it. And then after 50 times, you can do all the moves. They're all learned. And you get to that part where you're supposed to turn your head. And you just start doing this thing. You know, it's never articulated this way, but you start naturally going, well, I don't have to move my whole shoulders. I can just kind of do this, you know? Just kind of move your head a little bit. And it gets the same reaction from the audience. And you go, Wow, that's something because they're far away. They're in the balcony. There's 1,500 people here. How did they see me turn my head? And then you start going, well, maybe I could do less, you know. <laughs> so after 300 times, 400 times, you're just moving your eyes or you're just tilting your head. You're hardly even given the look. And the audience is still there 100%. And why is very complicated. It's because all the other stuff in the bit says that you have to look then, 
You know, right. they're waiting for it. They're feeling it. They're identifying with it. And all you really need to do, it turns out that human beings are able to tell you're going to turn and look at somebody by something you do a second earlier with your elbow. Like everybody's done it. We don't know what it right. is, but everybody knows it. They just do this. And when you're watching someone, it's why, you know, it's so sad that the, the vaudeville cats are all gone now. You right. know, when I was a child, I could see, I mean, even up until really, I was, uh, Really, until the 70s, uh, maybe into the 80s, you could see people who had done 12 minutes, a 12-minute routine had their whole life. They had done it tens of thousands of times, maybe even 100,000. You could see people who had done that. And there was a quality to that that was so boss and so subtle. They were so funny and so great, but you could not tell how they were doing it. And Letterman, uh, one of the funniest people alive and one of the best at everything he does. If you watch Letterman do his monologue, you can tell what he's doing. You can tell where the turns are. You can tell where the jokes are. These old timers that did stuff a thousand times, there were laughs, big laughs from the whole audience that you couldn't tell where they were coming from. You know, all I could tell was I was thinking the right thing at that time. I was thinking what he was thinking, but I couldn't tell how he t told me that. And that's the, the great thing about live performance. And why I'm so happy that we do, you know, we do 250 to 300 live shows a year and some of it the same material. Is you got the new stuff coming in all the time, but also you learn to do stuff where my whole goal is to get to the point that I'm doing stuff the audience doesn't know that I'm doing. Like, how do we know Penn was thinking that at that moment? Yeah. It's pretty cool. Uh, you kind of showed that in your Magic and Mystery Tour video when you went over to China, and some of those people would only know one trick yeah. their entire life, were learn, uh, learned it from a master, would one day pass it on, yeah. and that would be it. And, and they were working they, constantly. And, yeah, they're, they're even building on that. There's, a, there's a, a, one of the sad things about that 60s and 70s uh, sensibility uh, especially in music, mm -hmm. was that um, things should be done once. I mean, there's a wonderful thing with jazz and jam bands and all of that. Right. But there's also something great in just once in a while seeing someone who knows what they're doing. <laughs> you know, yeah. we, we stumble through our lives. We're just getting through it. You know, we got through that day. We've been our little differences. And here's, you know, one guy on stage that's done you know, he's picked up a cigarette and put it in his mouth enough times that he could do it right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, and I think that goes back to what we kind of started talking about is that Dylan had this gigantic effect on everybody in show business mm -hmm. that everybody needed to be uh, a creative genius after that. You didn't have a songwriter, yeah. producer, the guy had to be everybody at one time. And hey, everyone, Dylan did real damage. Yeah, he did. He did because if he you thought go, there might be more than one, right? And that was our big mistake. <laughs> and we constantly put that on a kid. Is this the next Dylan? Yeah. Jeez, that's not fucking too much to ask. Anyway. <laughs> but um, that thing—if you go back and watch the documentary where he's writing songs on a typewriter, yeah. like he doesn't know where that shit is coming from, yeah, yeah. and yet that's being expected now of everybody. Yeah, and also you know the great thing about. Dylan you know, what I think uh, you're looking for in art, uh, uh, and, and, and Dylan is the great example of this, is there are two things that I care about in art, and that is I care about skill, pure raw skill, and I care about bug nutty crazy. Right. Right. And you can have bug nutty crazy 
with very little skill, and it's way entertaining. That's where you get David Allen Coe. You know what I mean? People, people like that. Yeah. They only play a G and a C, but there's so much crazy coming off of it. Yeah. There's just inspiration all the time. Exploding with inspiration. You know, you get that with uh, with Otto and George. Sure. You know, I'm in comedy. You get that. And then there's the other side of just pure raw skill. You know, how many notes can you play on the guitar? Eddie Van Halen. You know, mm -hmm. those guys just do all that kind of stuff. And you can just kind of do that whole balance and then once in a while and you can name them it's like 50 you get a person that is completely skilled and bug nutty crazy yeah. miles davis picasso stravinsky bob dylan and bob dylan uh nobody can craft a song better go out on stage but he might just decide to do something else because he's bug nutty crazy yeah and uh and that's what you're always going for can you have that pure skill and control of knowing every moment that's happening and then once you have that be crazier than a shithouse rat <laughs> yeah <laughs> those two things that's really and i i've been there at both shows i've been there with like, all right, we were all lifted up, and the next time I go there, and he's playing the piano with his shoe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta have oh, that. Man. Tonight, and I have seen one person perform. Yeah, one person who I will not name, but I've seen the anti Dylan. It's very hard to find someone that has <laughs> no ideas and no skill whatsoever <laughs> uh, because usually they wouldn't have a reason to be on stage you know but there is one person doing a show in vegas that as far as i can tell is completely cynical has no skill whatsoever and not one idea ever popping into his or her head that's so great But if you see the show, you'll know what I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, you tell a great story in this uh, book about you and Teller going out and seeing an act that was kind of far past their prime and, and how it, yeah. it touched you guys. Yeah, well, you know, um, I don't even like putting it that way, but uh, Alan and Rossi mm -hmm. were a comedy team, uh, most well known in the 60s, did Sullivan 40, 40 odd times, I guess. And uh, they uh, they were playing. We were playing at um, Trump Castle or something uh, in Atlantic City, and we were in the showroom. And Alan and Rossi were in the lounge. And playing the lounge is a, is a bad gig for for comics because people are walking back and forth. You get slot machine noise. You got people having drinks served. It's loud. It's you don't get that real attention. And I was I was at the uh, I was at the hotel and the and the phone rang and uh, uh, it was uh, Marty Allen who said that they were uh, I had never met him, but he saw that we were in the in, in the showroom and would we come to the lounge and see them you know and uh, I called up Teller and Teller and I are business partners we never go out together I mean maybe twice a year we go out together but for the most part you know, we run a dry cleaning business you know yeah, and uh, my life is his life so if I go out with him after work 
what did you do today? Well, I did exactly what you did. <laughs> Precisely. And every single funny story you have, I've heard it. <laughs> I've heard it change over the years. I've heard everything. You've got nothing to say to me. If you do have something to say, let's do it in a meeting tomorrow and maybe get it on stage. <laughs> but there's nothing to do. And so I called up Teller and said, you know, uh, Alan and Rossi are playing down uh, uh, down the uh, the casino and in the lounge. And what are you doing? And he said, uh, "Let's go." So it's just the two of us, which is really rare. It just doesn't happen. If we're touring around, we come to town, and someone's in town. There's a bunch of people we go out with, but it's just me and Teller. We go out there, and uh, Alan and Rossi are. Uh, they come out, and they, you know, one of their wives does a, the opening act with a piano. And they have a um, um, television screen, and they show their their uh, Ed Sullivan appearances over and over. Hello there. <laughs> Hello there. Hello there. It was yeah. the big catchphrase, and they show this stuff. And, and there's probably, uh, I don't want to sell them short or exaggerate, but there's probably 40 people in the lounge. And they're sitting there, and some of them are there to drink in the lounge. And probably 30 of them are there to see uh, Alan and Rossi. Tom and I are sitting there having our uh, club sodas. They come out on stage and they're doing uh, hunks that I remember as a child from Ed Sullivan. They're going through this whole thing. And they're doing a fine job. And the audience is giving them fine applause with the sound of the slot machines. Mm -hmm. And if you were making a movie about the life lives of entertainers and the camera swoops in on this scene of them playing the casino after you've seen them on Ed Sullivan with the Beatles and all of that. This is kind of the the sad moment. This is kind of the decline. And uh, as we're watching the show, it's, it's, it's impossible not to think this. I, I'm watching that and I'm thinking, well, you know, we could have shown our 40 Letterman appearances, you know, before this. We could be out there doing the, you know, the water tank and the hand stab and the cockroaches, you know, again on stage. And I look over at Teller and he's got his uh, club soda and I go, uh, you know, Teller, in just a few years, this could be us. <laughs> and Teller said the most beautiful thing he's ever said. He said, I am so okay with that. <laughs> Thank you, thank you so much, Tom. Your book, God Know, pick it up, Mr. Pendulum. Thank you.